Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome into the Monday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LeBoy. I'm the host of this show. Today I've got Tom Peavy and Brant Daughtry with me as uh, we are excited to be joined in just a second by Grant Enfinger of the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. We'll get to him in just one second. Really appreciate uh, Grant, who's about to be on with us, as this time of year is very exciting in the NASCAR world. We're counting down until the playoffs in the NASCAR Cup Series, and we're getting set for the playoffs in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. And so we begin today uh, with Grant Enfinger, the driver of the number 23 champion power equipment Chevy Silverado for GMS Racing. Uh, Grant, the time is greatly appreciated today. How are things in your world? Things are good. So uh, we're, we're getting ready to, to get started here Friday night at, at Indianapolis for, for our Truck Series playoffs. And uh, fortunately, we're, uh, we're part of it. We've, uh, we've, we've overall had a, had a pretty decent year and um, feel, feel really good about our, our chances. feel like we've, uh, we've had a really fast champion power equipment Chevrolet at, at most of the races so far. Um, still think we could uh, execute a little better um, uh, during during some of them, but but overall it's just been 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 a, a good solid year for for our organization and our in our 23 champion power equipment team. And I wanted to start with kind of looking to what's happened so far this year, as you've already kind of recapped there, Grant. Two wins for you this year, uh, getting set for your fifth playoff appearance. So, I mean, are you have you met the expectations that you set out for you and your team so far this year? You know, I don't I don't think we've we've met you know what we're capable of i i feel like um from from a positive outlook you could look at at, at our team and and i feel like we could show up at any track on the on the circuit and and have a shot to win now we've we've won two races but we've we've been in contention for for four or five races and, and that's something i'm proud of um but but there has been three four or five races where where we just missed it a, a little bit more so than than is our standard. So I think overall it, it's been good. We we haven't been quite as consistent, and we haven't you know we haven't been as as clean as I'd like to be. So overall, I think um I, I think that the good way to look at it is is we we have the potential. Um, our core group of guys that works on this number twenty three champion power equipment Chevrolet, they are clicking on all eight cylinders. Um, drivers gotta, gotta be more consistent some of the time. Our, our pit crew's got, gotta step up a little bit. We just overall just have to, um, you know, operate at a, at a high level here starting these playoffs. And so, Grant, when we start the playoffs this weekend, going to IRP, a track that you won at last year, how much confidence do you have uh, as someone that has won a playoff track that, again, has that playoff experience? I mean, just how much confidence do you bring into the beginning of the playoffs? Yeah, I think, um, Overall, we have a lot of confidence right now. I think, um, I think myself and Jeff Hensley. I, I feel like if you line us up on on any short track in, in the in the Craftsman Truck Series, I feel like you know 
our competitors would say, hey, that, that's that's guys you got to look out for. Those guys can, can get it done. And um, I I genuinely enjoy IRP. Um, I think it is a great track for the truck series. Um, and I love short tracks in general. So I think overall um, this is a place where we're carrying a lot of confidence to. Um, we, we obviously had a, had a good truck there last year. We were able to, um, to, to come out with the win and, um, hopefully we can do the same thing this year. We're, we're bringing the same truck, the, the, the same general setup. Um, but everybody makes their stuff better and better every year. And, um, so, so there's stuff we, we, we need to, need to get better that, that we weren't, um, you know, a hundred percent last year. So, um, overall, I feel like we, we have confidence on our side. We, we have the organization, we have the resources. Um, we, we have, have really good Chevrolets coming out of, out of this GMS organization all around. So, um, hopefully we're able to, to, um, you know, capitalize on that. And Grant, you mentioned a little bit about the schedule, about some short track racing. We know the paradigm shift in NASCAR has seemed at the cup level. There have been the introduction to more road courses, a street race, and that sort of level. At the truck level, still running a lot of ovals, though. Do you ever see a day where there's a lot of road courses, or do you do you think the roots of the truck series should be on the short track? Well, just what's your idea about what the, the schedule should continue to bring? Well, number one, they've never asked me my opinion, but uh, <laughs> but I, I mean, I I think um, I think the truck series belongs at at a lot of short tracks. I, I think we're we're getting to the part of the season. I feel like we we have three or four short tracks here in the playoffs, um, which I think is a is a great thing. Overall, it's still I think we have six or or so total on the schedule. I I, I think you know we we need seven or eight short tracks. Um, for sure. I, I think that just the truck series in general, I think we put on a great show with these short tracks. I think a, a lot of the time, um, when we get to a, to a big track like Kansas or Vegas or, or something like that, we're, we're right at, right at wide open and, um, we're carrying so much speed and, and it's, and it's hard to pass guys when, when you're wide open racing. Um, I, I, I like the tracks where you have some tire fall off where you're, you're, uh, on and off the gas and, and on the brakes and, and I feel like it, it adds an, another element, and, and you have tire management. You have a lot of other variables that, that we don't have at, at some of the big tracks. So um, I definitely think the truck series is, is pretty diverse. We, we, we only go to two road courses. I, I wouldn't mind if there was three or four, and um, I definitely want to keep a, a dirt track on the schedule. This year it, it was Bristol Dirt. I think in years past, I think Eldora put on, put on the best show. Um, I'd like to see a couple dirt tracks, um, a few road courses, a lot of a lot of short tracks, and then then you can fill in the the rest with uh, obviously Daytona and Talladega, but 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 then fill in the rest with, with the mile and a half stuff. And Grant, we know that you being from Fairhope, uh, what does Talladega mean to you? I know it's coming up in the playoffs in the second round of the playoffs, but uh, do you have a, a favorite Talladega memory or just something about growing up in the state of Alabama and and your uh, memories of Talladega? There is all kinds of Talladega stories. You know, not all of them can be shared publicly, I would say. <laughs> sure. But, um, you know, I, I, I vividly remember the, the first time uh, showing up to Talladega with, uh, with, with my dad and, and then a, a family friend of ours, Greg Allen, and his son, Evan, and um, another buddy of ours, Bobby. We, we pull in the gates, and, and um, I asked my dad what that is, and, and it, it was a guy taking a, taking a bath with beer. Now, I don't know if he actually had beer in the beer bottle or if he had somehow filled up his beer bottle with water. And he's just, you know, I was, I don't know, five, six years old. And it's just, 
that's that's maybe one of the the milder things you you see at Talladega. So you just kind of have to have an open mind when when you get there. <laughs> but the racing is phenomenal. Um, I'm, I I feel like um, it was kind of the perfect scenario for me to to get my first ever Craftsman Truck Series win um, at, at at Talladega with uh, so much family and friends there. That's uh, that's definitely a memory that that I will never forget. And um, you know, I, I told when I was five or six years old, I, I told the, the story of the beer bath at his show and tell, and uh, kind of got my dad in trouble. So right, <laughs> there's there's good and bad come, comes from Talladega. I'll put it like that. <laughs> Absolutely. Talking to Grant Enfinger, driver of the number 23 champion power equipment Chevy Silverado for GMS Racing today on Sports Call. Grant, I do want to ask you before we get to one or two more playoff thoughts, I want to ask you about an experience you had back in the month of June, and that was to drive uh, the number 42 for Legacy Motor Club in the NASCAR Cup Series. What was that experience like? I know that was a, a great opportunity, but just describe what that meant to you to get that opportunity and have a cup race this year. Yeah, it was it was definitely a, a great opportunity to me. It was a, a little bit bittersweet because you know I was in there for for injured Noah Gregson that, that had had a had a concussion the, the week before, so never want to see one of your fellow competitors and and, and really teammates. We're we're under the same roof here at uh, GMS Racing and, and Legacy Motor Club, so never want to see anybody uh, get hurt. But but definitely. Um, you know, honored to, to get the call and to, to have that opportunity. But um, it was overwhelming to me for for about two days there, from, from I guess, Wednesday afternoon to, to Friday afternoon, trying to prepare for something um, that, I, that I wasn't, you know, really prepared for. I, I had been to Sonoma one time before in a truck. Um, I'd never sat in a, a next-gen car. So, actually, um, we, we got, got in touch with our, our pickery. The, the cars had already left to, to go to the track um, uh, when when the decision was made to, to put me in it. So I, we actually uh, reached out to our pit crew so I could just get in a next-gen car but before we actually got to the track and able to, to practice a couple pit stops, just get it in gear, uh, shift gears a couple of times, and then um, just kind of felt like a whirlwind for two days trying to prepare for that race. Uh, Noah helped me a, a good bit to, to prepare for that. And, um, and able to, to get an, an hour or, or two of, of some time before we went out there. And then just kind of felt like they threw me to the wolves. But, um, but once practice started, uh, Luke Lambert, um, he, he made great calls, didn't, didn't put any extra pressure on me. And from the, the minute that practice started, I truly enjoyed the rest of the weekend. I kind of put all the, all the other stress behind me and just kind of enjoyed the time. And, and it was a lot of fun in challenging learning a completely new car. I mean, these cars drive drastically different than our trucks. The, the tires um, drive incredibly different. Um, they, they break uh, a lot differently. So there's a lot of things that were just way different, and, and I enjoyed the challenge. So um, I probably, I'd say most people consider me more of a short track guy, not a road course guy. So I don't know if I would have chosen Sonoma to be my, my only cut series start. Uh, but but I still I I greatly enjoyed it. It was uh, it was definitely a big challenge, but I feel like overall it was successful and and uh, brought it home in, in one piece and, and able to, to to finish the race in 26. So overall, just um you know a kind of a whirlwind, but but an enjoyable experience. Absolutely, and and you hit on it a little bit there too. I'm always. 
uh, I was struck by just how different some of these these cars are. And of course, when they went to the the new gen, next gen, what have you, uh, last year, then again, a lot of people talking about how different they drive. So I would love to hear that uh, that perspective from you. So Grant, as we look towards the playoffs, question about the another schedule question, but but more around the playoffs. We know that in the truck series, not as many races in 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 the regular season. You got weeks off, but even in the playoffs, you got some time between races. Uh, do you wish it were different where you had seven straight races there at the end, boom, 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 or do you like to have the the week off from time to time to kind of assess what needs to be done in the following race? Uh, in my opinion, I, I'd like to see these last seven races happen happen within eight or nine weeks anyway. I, I feel like we're we we uh, we're going to be going to, what, the first weekend of, of November. I, I think it's stretched out a little too far in, in the truck series, in my opinion, but that's just kind of the, the way the schedule worked out. Um, this year we, we had two uh, five race stretches where we raced five weeks in a row um, two different times. That, that's stretching our truck series teams a little bit thin, um, but, but overall we, we have the resources that it takes at GMS Racing. We have, the, we have the crew. Jeff Hensley is always thinking ahead. He's always thinking to the next race. So I feel like we handle those situations better than most. Um, but, yeah, I feel like just overall – it, it does feel like our playoffs are, are stretched out a, a little bit too much um, for, for my liking. But um, but I am happy with the schedule. You know, I think it's uh, it's great that we have some short tracks in here. Um, I'm really looking forward to, to you know, definitely uh, RP this week. But in a couple weeks, we, we go to Milwaukee, which is a track that I've never been to. Um, so looking forward to, to that. So th- this first round, it'll it'll be challenging, but, but we're going to some places that, it should be good for us in IRP and Kansas. And then the next round is, is when business really picks up. You, you have Bristol, uh, Talladega, and Homestead. And, and uh, I feel like we, we kind of have to enter that round with, hey, we, we, we need to win one of these three races if we're going to race for a championship. So um, it's, it's definitely, you know, pressure-filled and, and, uh, and action-packed. And, and, and hopefully, hopefully the fans at home enjoy the, the show we put on. Well, we are looking forward to watching it. Grant, again, talking to Grant Enfinger, driver of the number 23 champion power equipment Chevy Silverado for GMS Racing. Grant, we'll close with this. You kind of previewed a little bit right there, but with the playoff, uh, again, with a couple shorter tracks here in this first half, then you've got a mix of really everything. you got a drafting track in Talladega in that second round. Do you have a preferred uh, group of three here, or is it all just all the same to you? Get out there, uh, got to get, uh, got to be top eight after three, got to be top four after the, the next three. Just what's your kind of approach here in these uh, these rounds of the playoffs? I think it changes after every race, to, depending how how you execute. Um, I as a general rule, I'd say you can approach the, this this first round. Which, hey, we're we're going out to win IRP. If we have a choice to to go for stage points or, or go for a win, um, I think me and Jeff Hensley will, will be on the same page of, of going for a win. But I think realistically, um, you can have the have the safe approach of of pointing your way through this first round. But I, I, I there can be. One guy point their way through the second round, but it's it it's happened before where three guys have, have won in that second round. So so you're you're almost in a must win situation uh, when you get into the second round if you want to guarantee yourself to, to go to Phoenix. So um, you know a lot of the times as a driver we're pushing as hard as we can no matter what. Um, a lot of times those those gut wrenching decisions come down to the crew chief. You know whether we pit or whether we stay out or, or whatever. I, 
I feel like it is the driver, especially in, in the truck series these days, you're pushing it so hard every race. Um, and you're, you're laying it on, on the line. I feel like if you, if you race safe out there, you're, you're going to be racing in 15th or 20th and, and you can still wreck that way. So from, from my standpoint, it doesn't change as much as probably, uh, Jeff Hensley's mentality. So, um, that's kind of the, the mentality going into it, but, you know, all that can, stuff can change with, with one bad race or, you know, if we're fortunate enough to, to win at IRP, then we can use those next two races and just go for broke. So uh, I think I think you have to take it race by race. Absolutely. Well, Grant, we really appreciate the time today. We wish you very well here and uh, as the playoffs start this weekend in Indianapolis, and we look forward to watching you out there. Absolutely. Thank you so much. That is Grant Enfinger joining us today on Sports Call, the driver, the number 23 champion power equipment Chevy Silverado for GMS Racing. We're going to go to our first time out of the show. Back with more Sports Call right after this. easy it is to listen to our show all you have to do with your amazon smart device is say alexa play sports call auburn this is former auburn football player danny skutak and you are listening to the abby award-winning sports call auburn Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Brand Domptry with you here this afternoon. You'll hear from those two gentlemen in just a second. Appreciate Grant Finger, Grant Enfinger for joining us today on Sports Call. Uh, Grant, again, a native of the state of Alabama in the Truck Series playoffs, which start this uh, this weekend in Indianapolis with IRP, which is a shorter track than got the Milwaukee Mile a couple weeks after that. So appreciate Grant Enfinger for joining us to preview that as he's in his uh, fifth playoff appearance this year and uh, again with GMS Racing this year so appreciate Grant for joining the show today coming up on throughout the show got a lot planned for you today it is Arkansas day so in the five o'clock hour we'll have a preview of Arkansas football as we preview 14 SEC teams in 13 days uh, we'll also have a sports call five at five centered around the quarterback competitions going around the SEC a few thoughts about Auburn fall practice. Uh, was able I was able to attend the uh, the coordinators press conference earlier today. So give you some updates off of that. Also talk more co- conference realignment. The Pac-12 is down to four, uh, and rumblings of what the ACCs try to do, which is quite humorous. So a lot to talk about today. Of course, we're going to get to the Auburn make phone line in just a minute. We got a full bank of callers lined up. Tom, want to still ask you though, even though it's a little bit in the hey. show. Hope you're doing well today. I am doing well, and uh, yeah, I just kind of let you run with that interview. I did have a question I was going to ask him, uh, but I did some research on here. Uh, they were, they were at, at Indianapolis, 
and you know i didn't realize that there's a whole other separate indianapolis lucas oil motor yeah. motorsports park so i'm kind of glad because i would have been a fool like hey indianapolis motor speedway must be pretty good and it's like no they're, that's not where they're going to be irp so. versus yeah the right. actual so yeah. glad i did re- research is a good thing folks before you <laughs> research is is good research yeah. is good before you stumble over yourself but uh uh doing great um uh, you know uh last week we were uh, uh dealing with uh, a, a death in the uh, fire community and over the weekend uh we had the funeral for uh for zachary bubba Sorensen over in opelika and an absolutely amazing ceremony uh and a celebration of his life a lot of fire uh departments from all over the area uh, there's even a there's even a truck there from Orange Beach. Yeah, Orange wow. Beach. Yeah, I, I think Orange Beach is probably the furthest that I saw. But uh, you know, definitely all the departments in this area and even over into Columbus, Georgia, all were here uh, supporting that. And so uh, I was very very honored to be a part of that. Uh, was a, a a part of the honor guard during the uh, visitation portion of the ceremony. So I was so honored uh, to be a part of that. Honored for uh, Southwest Fire Department to. Uh, be able to do that for for one of our fallen brothers so uh that that was that took up the majority of my weekend uh try to keep track of sports as much as i could and uh you know and i did auburn got a really good uh commitment from a four-star defensive back but they lost out on the big time uh five plus star uh safety in kj bolton who uh, announced that he was going to be attending fsu but i really didn't think it, i didn't feel very confident about that one uh, i think a lot of the I think a lot of hype from KJ came after uh, after Big Cat Weekend, but I think once things kind of settled down, it just really didn't feel like there was a whole lot of confidence that that Auburn was going to be his ultimate destination. So uh, you do miss out on him, but you do get the uh, the really good four star uh, defensive back, and I cannot think of his name. At- Julius Solomon. We'll talk a little there bit about him and a little bit later in the show. So uh, got that one, and uh, yeah, all the talk of the. The, the just the landscape of college football and what's happening right now it, it is it's crazy it, it's it is absolutely insane the stuff that's going on the stuff that we know is currently happening right now is insane and now you start thinking about you mentioned some talks that could potentially be out there and things and my goodness gracious they get crazier and crazier in a way yeah. and uh i i feel proud from the standpoint of I don't, again, want all this to necessarily happen. I didn't want necessarily the super conferences, but I feel proud that we were talking about it all summer long, like we were on top of it and we knew we could kind of see this thing as a collective group coming because of just the failed leadership of the Pac-12. And so I, not that this was an impossible equation to crack, but I feel like we were always on top of it throughout the process and we'll have more updates uh, for that a little bit later in the show, too. Brant Dantry also joining us after a weekend home. Brant, hope you had a great weekend, sir. I did. Absolutely did. Uh, and a lot went on over the weekend. We are witnessing the death, uh, like you guys have just discussed, of one of the major conferences in, in college sports. Uh, the Pac-12 is effectively dead. They've got four teams left, and that's certainly not going to be enough to keep them afloat. So I, I don't think that there is any path back for them. I think they've lost all goodwill. And uh, I thought that they were going to make it another season before all this happened. But, yeah, you can kind of see the writing on the wall when, well, they just kept pushing back that whole TV deal thing. And all these other schools were going, well, hey, we're worth more than that. Uh, UCLA and USC got out first. And from there, that should have been the Pac-12's kind of wake-up call. And instead, they've just continued to hold pat. And now they are the Pac-4. 
and they're just not going to last very long. So uh, it's kind of sad to see, but it's not something that's shocking, even if it is a little bit sad. So let's go ahead and get to the Auburn Bank phone lines. we got three callers waiting, 334-887-341 locally or toll-free, 1-889-TIGER-9. First up on the show today, Matt from Tallahassee. Matt is with us. Matt, how are you this afternoon? Fine. How are you doing, Ryan? Doing very hey, well. Hey, Tom, I want to give you a round of applause because uh, Ryan asked you where you have, how you had a good day, so I'm going to give you a round of applause. No, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Hey, so um, I got a question for you guys, but first I want to start with Brent. Hey, Brent, what's up? Hey, Matt, how you doing? Fine. I want to start with you first. Did you guys, did you guys watch the, the women's soccer game? I did not. I was asleep in my bed when that game happened. I was. Uh, I followed it the next morning as though I was, uh, as though I was watching it live. And uh, yeah, absolute heartbreaker for the women's national team. Well, did you get? Did you guys? Did you guys hear that two of the women's soccer after like uh, the one with the purple hair after she was a final her final game they released her. Yeah, Megan Megan Rapino. They didn't release her. She is retiring from international soccer. Uh, a legend of U.S. women's soccer, uh, one of the the best women's players of all time, and uh, certainly a a staple of American soccer for the last uh, decade and a half or so. So yeah. uh, Megan Megan Rapino uh, retiring from international play. It's it's kind of sad and, to see him go out like that. And then they released Alex Morgan. No, I don't. I I don't think so. I think Alex Morgan said uh, she wants to continue to play. Uh, we'll see if she ends up making the roster in four years. Yeah. But she still well, intends to play. Get, did you guys hear what Trump said? Like he was mocking the women soccer and stuff like that. But like, uh, I'm not a big Trump person. He's going to lose the election anyways. But um, I uh, so I wanted to get that off my chest. And, and stuff, but, but I want to ask you guys, what do you guys think about, um, Ryan, I know you were talking about the uh, KD Brett, the one that we got, the safety or the cornerback, and what do you guys think about him coming to Auburn and how is that going to help, and then what do you think about the other uh, Alabama players that was committed to Auburn that uh, he's with, how is that going to help? Uh, Auburn. And then the other question is, what do you guys think about Colorado going into Pac-10? Uh, so uh, first off, I was referring to KJ Bolden, or Tom was referring to KJ Bolden. He did not commit to Auburn. He went to Florida State. The kid that committed uh, to Auburn was Jalewis Solomon, who's a four-star corner out of the state of Georgia, who was uh, looking like he was going to commit to South Carolina and then uh, decided to commit to Auburn. So that's who they got. Auburn is recruiting the DBs very well. They'd already had a couple four-star corners already committed, so they're going to have a very strong DB class. Uh, the wide receiver, Perry Thompson, who we've talked a little bit about before, uh, out of Foley, uh, uh, he obviously committed – two weekends ago now, or uh, I guess nine days ago, to Auburn after having a commitment to Alabama. That was a big deal for Auburn. That's their highest-rated recruit, a five-star guy. And, we, of course, we know Hugh Freeze wants to build on uh, on getting top-wide receiver talent. So uh, that was obviously a big get. And after not getting Cam Coleman especially, it was a, a big deal to get Perry Thompson. And then uh, Colorado is leaving the Pac-12 to join the Big 12. Uh, and, of course, so there's many more that followed that. 
Uh, but that was kind of the the first one there a couple weeks ago. And so that is obviously a big part of why the Pac-12 ended up falling apart. But uh, Colorado was not the, the, the final straw there. It was uh, really Oregon and Washington going to the Big Ten. But uh, this conference yeah. realignment has been pretty crazy. So, so and um, Lord Ryan, was that you that said that? Yes, it was. So, so uh, Tom and Brent, what do you guys think about uh, Colorado going, leaving, and and what do you guys think about the commitment dropping got for football? Uh, I mean, Colorado's Colorado had to make the move because I mean the Pac-12 is not going to exist is what it looks like. And uh, and so you jump at the opportunity to take that, and of course, with a name at head coach like Deion Sanders, uh, you know the the type of notoriety that that program can bring, people are going to scoop them up. And so, uh, Big Twelve was smart in grabbing them, and they were smart in taking it. Uh, as far as the recruiting goes, uh, yeah, hey, the Jalewis Solomon, uh, he he's, he was wanted by a lot of the other SEC schools, and he picked Auburn. So. That's good for Auburn. Uh, you definitely would have liked to have been able to close on K.J. Bolden, but, I mean, you can't have them all. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't have any issues at all with the way recruiting is going right now with Hugh Freeze. Yeah, and um, and then, uh, Brent, you can you can uh, give me an answer about Colorado, too, but I want to ask all three of you guys a question. Um, what do you guys think about who do you think in fall, like when fall can't get over with, who do you guys think will be the starter quarterback for Auburn? And I know, Brent, you said when it gets closer to football season that you think Auburn still might win seven or six games. But with the class that Auburn's got for uh, next year in 2025, what do you guys think? Who do you guys, do you guys think Thorne's still will be a starter or you think it'll be Ashford or you think it'll be Gardner? Or he and and another question is, um, do you guys know if Devon Hunter is going to play this year? Yeah. I'm I'm still sticking with Peyton Thorne as the starter. Uh, obviously, Auburn is giving those other guys their chance. Uh, that the social media account tweeted out a video of Holden Gurner throwing to Rivaldo Fairweather the other day. So obviously, he's playing well. Uh, Coach Philip Montgomery, the offensive coordinator, gave props to Robbie Ashford today. Said he's improved a lot as a passer, and that makes sense because he had a lot of improving to do as a passer. But I'm still going to stick with Peyton Thorne for right now. Uh, and you know, obviously, it. We'll get through fall camp, and that decision will be made hopefully by game one, and if not, hopefully get by game two. So I, I'm going to stick with Peyton Thorne. will be your starting quarterback for most of the season, but uh, it's obviously in flux right now. And and it, regardless of who the quarterback is, I'm kind of sticking. I'm kind of sticking with my prediction of seven and five. I think eight and four is possible. I think six and six is also possible. So I'm going to stick with seven and five for now. Uh, so like uh, Brent, and then like. Uh, Ryan, and I want to get you and Tom's uh, and he guys in the quarterback. But uh, Brent, do you guys do you think that Javon Hunter will still play? I, I think he'll play at some point. The investigation's not over yet. If it was, I, I think we would have heard something. Uh, so I, I think Jarquez Hunter is not going to be kicked off the team. But uh, it's possible he still misses time. We don't know how much. And 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 once once that information is out there, we'll we'll let everybody know. But right now, we just don't have anything. Um, and um, Brent and uh, I mean Ryan and Tom, I want to get you guys on who you guys think of be a starting quarterback, Robin. 
Uh, all right, so uh, I, Peyton Thorne, for everything that I have heard from, from folks, is it, it's Peyton Thorne's job to lose. And so Peyton Thorne is going to be the starter. The biggest question I am hearing right now is who may be the second-string quarterback because I have been told by some relatively reliable folks that Holden Gurner has been really showing out. And you could very well see Peyton Thorne as a starter and Holden as your second-stringer uh, and then Robbie at third, which may mean that they try to push him into another position to be able to get him on the field. That's just what I'm hearing. But as far as a starter, I think Peyton Thorne is absolutely going to be it. Well, hey, Tom, I didn't mean, interrupt you or anything, but um, and I'm going to give um, Ryan a thought. When you say, like, this part of <clears throat> Asper at another position, are you talking about maybe putting Asperger as like maybe a wildcat or wide receiver? I well, you know, if if it does work out that that he is not even in the backup quarterback uh, picture, I think they're going to give him that option. Uh, a lot of what they did with Cody Burns, you know, Cody Burns started out as a quarterback and it just did not work out for him, and he took the job as a wide receiver and became a really good wide receiver for Auburn. And so with a guy like Robbie Ashford, if he's not going to be a quarterback, then you would like to have that athletic ability somewhere because he is a great athlete. He's an amazing athlete. He's an amazing football player. So you want to try to find somewhere for him. It just may not be a quarterback. Um, And, um, Brian, what – I want to get your thoughts on that and then – I want to see what Brent says about maybe Asper as a wide receiver. So what what do you think? And who are you going with for quarterback? Yeah, uh, only a couple more minutes with you, Matt, then we'll have to get to our next call. But, yeah, I think that uh, at quarterback, it's it's Peyton Thorne's uh, most probable outcome that he is the starter. I think it's interesting what we've heard about Holden Gurner so far because I was always under the assumption that it would be really a two-person race between Ashford and Thorne with Gurner a distant third, but apparently he is playing well in fall practice. The one practice I saw part of, he did not stand out, but we didn't see much in that one practice, so I don't want to use my experiences as gospel or anything like that. So I think that I think that still he was coming from a third-place point of view. It's going to be tough for him to reach uh, the starter job, and I still think that is going to be yep. Peyton Thorne, but it's. It, I suppose it's possible he ends up as the number two quarterback. I, I bet I know who's on the next call, but it, I bet it's from James from Montgomery. Uh, very much is. Yep, he'll be up in just a second. Well, hey, if he has any questions for me, um, like I said, when I tell you guys next Monday, I like to I'll hear the questions. If he has any about me for swimming and stuff like that, I'll hear them, and then I'll give you the answer on um, next Monday. All right, you, sounds good. You guys have. I'm not going to do the tier today um, and stuff, stuff, but um, Tom, keep up the good work. Um, Thank you. And and Brent, I would still like to meet your girlfriend sometimes. Yeah, but it's not Brant with the with the girlfriend there. It's it's Tom. Uh, I, I wish, man. Yeah. I wish, but uh, not no luck so far. Hey, Tom, I still want to meet your girlfriend sometime. <laughs> All right, I'll let Michelle know that. All right, you guys have a good day, and and tell my man, man Devon Reed and Brooke. I said, what's up? We will certainly do that. We appreciate your phone call, Matt War Eagle. 
That is Matt from Tallahassee. Matt for Auburn joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. 334-887-341 locally or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Now next up on the Auburn Bank phone line. James from Montgomery. James is with us. James, hope you heard that last phone call from uh, Matt. He was wondering if you had any questions for him about swimming or that sort of thing. And also hope you're doing well today. Um, I am doing uh, excellent, and yes, I do have a great question for my great uh, friend, which is my partner and uh, my best friend, uh, Matt from Tallahassee. Um, you know, for him, I know he likes to swim a lot, so do I, but swimming, just um, for him, I don't know, I don't even know if he's still listening, but if he is... He could actually like look at some uh, YouTube videos of um, of Olympic swimmer Michael Phelps and uh, learn a lot of his swimming uh, techniques as well. And um, if he wants to have some like inspirational, uh, you know, advice, um, actually follow this guy. He's um, he's coming to uh, Montgomery sometime real soon in August. Uh, Tim Tebow. He's um, a really great uh, inspirational speaker. Uh, Matt from Dallas, he can uh, pick up his book. It's very interesting, and he's a he's a very great, inter- interesting, um, um, you know, motivational speaker as well. He's been doing it for for a long time as well. So, um, you know, those are the the two questions I have for my good friend uh, Matt as well. All right, so we'll see if he uh, if he likes Michael Phelps and uh, likes Tim Tebow and kind of gets some motivation from that. We got you. All right, James, how are you doing this afternoon? Uh, what uh, What's on your mind? Well, I've been keeping up with a lot of these uh, college uh, trans, uh, college teams that are transferring from the big from the Pac-12 to the SEC, and I know that y'all were saying that there are only four teams left in the Pac-12, and I know the Pac-12 is is you know it, it's like is on his last life. It's on life support right now for the Pac-12. And I was looking at, like, some other teams I might want to play in the SEC. I see Colorado and Auburn. I see uh, Georgia Tech and Auburn. And I see uh, North Carolina uh, playing against Auburn as well for the SEC as well. So those are the uh, teams I would like to see actually coming into the SEC in a few years from now. Yeah, if the ACC has big problems, who knows what might happen with some of their member institutions. And uh, we know that, obviously, Georgia Tech geographically would make a lot mm-hmm. of sense, although their athletics program has struggled a bit in recent years. We know North Carolina wouldn't bring a whole lot to the football side of things. They are more competitive than some in the ACC, but they're – Big calling card, obviously, is basketball, and so that would be an interesting move from a basketball perspective. So we'll see. I know the SEC's preference is not to have to add more teams, but they will if the market dictates that. So we'll just see as time goes on. Yes, as well, because I know they were talking on uh, ESPN earlier today. They were talking about uh, how does college football compare to the NFL and, you know, with the NIL, I mean, they were talking about, like, with uh, athletes that I guess they were trying to say in comparison with the professional level of players that are playing, like, in professional basketball, baseball, and football to, like, versus playing as a college student 
and they were just splitting it down the middle, and they were saying that uh, college students shouldn't get paid the NIL money as versus as as a professional player because for professional players, they get paid a lot of NIL money and they have deals with these company with these big, large companies as well. Like with LeBron James, he has like Nike or, uh, you know, different, different sports appeals that these uh, professional athletes actually wear as versus as uh, a college player as well because they don't have like the the uh appeal that they have you know for these college players to actually wear as well yeah the endorsement deals obviously are a lot larger for the professional athletes and uh some of those deals the nil deals for college athletes some of them can get pretty big but a lot of them are usually a collection of of more uh, modest groupings, and of course, some sometimes we know that it's not exactly done the way it's supposed to. But uh, still, the professional athlete still makes uh, way more off of off of those type of deals. Yes, as well, because just like with uh, these college students, these are students that are going to these universities just to play a sport on the weekends, and then during the rest of the week, they're actually there to get, like, a degree or something, you know, to actually, you know, it's a four-year uh process for them so when they're done with their with their college careers they can you know do something else besides playing sports as well so i mean i think they just playing sports just for a recreational purposes and the standpoint at that so that's why i think that's why um, a lot of these college players they're just playing it for um for recreational purposes as well well, yeah, you have the recreation. It's it's fun to play sports, right? It's fun to play football, and and uh, but also you know you have uh, the the ability to go to school for free. You have uh, in today's world the 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 world of NIL. You can make money doing it, and there's the promise of being able to play the game at the next level. So uh, college sports offers all of that, and uh, NIL is just another another reason to try and play college sports. Yes, as well because with the NIL deal that these uh, athletes are getting, I mean, where do the fans actually sit in in all of this as well? Because for us as a fan base of these universities, we're paying a lot of money to come to actually uh, attend these games, and we don't even get, you know, we we're like, you know, every time when I see uh, like any games from Auburn uh, football games or Auburn basketball games or something, they don't talk to, like, some of the uh, some of the uh, sports reporters, they don't want, they don't, like, they don't talk to the fans to know their inside on how long they've been a fan of that university or that school. And I think we should have a part of that as well you know just for us as fans we support the team we support the school but i I think in our interest we should have like some of the uh sports reporters to report us and see you know our our backstory as well how we became a fan as well so other people would know more about us as well instead of watching us you know watching us cheer our team on to a victory or something like that you know give us 
our give our moment or uh, give our time to shine in the in the uh, sports spotlight as well. Well, and that's why we have you on this program, Jane, so you can tell us all about how to be an Auburn fan and how you became an Auburn fan and that sort of thing. So that's why uh, we're always glad to get to talk to you. Now, James, last week and really for the weeks prior to that, you'd also brought up a lot uh, the Hall of Fame game, and now it has come and gone. And did you enjoy the Hall of Fame game last Thursday? I actually did enjoy the Hall of Fame uh, game and the Hall of Fame enshrinement ceremony. It was very um, interesting and it was very moving, but um, I was very disappointed in um, in what the uh, sports reporters were actually talking about during the game of uh, Deshaun Watson bringing up his uh, personal information that should not be in a broadcast on live television as well. Gotcha. So they, uh, you just want them to kind of focus on the future there. Yes, as well. You know, because if it was me and if I was a a news reporter for like the NFL or the, well, probably like the NFL, I wouldn't talk about anybody's personal, uh, you know, personal business like that because one, anybody can make mistakes. I mean, what Deshaun Watson did when he was in Houston, he's. That that should not been discussed on national television. That made him look like he was, you know, like that made him feel like he was a a target instead of as a superstar as in the NFL. I mean, you had so many other athletes, not just Deshaun Watson. Look at uh, running back of uh, the New Orleans Saints, Alvin Kamara, what he did when he went to a Las Vegas nightclub, you know, spending millions upon millions of dollars worth of his salary cap money to, uh, you know, bet on sports games. And now he's suspended for three games before the preseason starts uh well this coming up weekend as well so who who will step up for alvin kamara in in the running backs position as well yeah i don't know i just know that uh when you do something that breaks a rule or breaks a law or that sort of thing you do have to have some sort of punishment there so i think it's fair to to talk about it when it happens i do think that after a lot of time passes you can move on from it, that sort of thing but i think that's why that kind of thing is a story what else is on your mind today well, I'm actually going to be looking at um, some games that are going to be played uh, today because I know uh, uh, the baseball season is about to wrap down, is about to like wind down right now because they're getting ready for the postseason, so it's uh, it's slowing down as well. And I'm actually going to be getting ready to do my uh, NFL fantasy draft, which is going to be starting next couple of weeks after the preseason. After week after preseason four, I'm going to start uh, picking my teams for week one as well, and uh, seeing if Dak Prescott is going to actually give me these fantasy points as well. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Uh, baseball's still got a, another month and a half or so, but, I mean, it is in the final third of the season, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. And then in terms of fantasy there for you, James, I know that you take fantasy very seriously, so we're going to be interested to, to hear who all you pick up on your team. Yes, that's well, because I, um, I've been, you know, studying, um, you know, fantasy from last two years I've actually played, and I was just trying to see, like, from 2000, uh, like, from 2022 to uh uh, 20, uh, 
2021 and 2022 season, and I've been just trying to see who I want to pick from last season's uh, fantasy and putting them in this year's fantasy uh, league as well. And um, I'm just hoping to see if I could win the uh, fantasy uh, season this year. I'm hoping and I'm praying that I will get that trophy in the ring and the belt as well if I win that as well this year. So I'm I'm hoping that I'll win the uh, Fantasy Super Bowl this year as well. That would be very exciting. And then uh, I did uh, just get another call from Matt James, and to answer your questions, uh, Matt uh, is a fan of Michael Phelps. He is unfortunately not able uh, to get on YouTube. He's not allowed to watch YouTube videos and uh, and watch Michael swim or or uh, hear the, those big conferences from Tim Tebow, but uh, he certainly – uh, is aware of Tebow uh, doing some of those speaking engagements and that sort of thing. And again, he is uh, he does like Michael Phelps. So if you have any other questions for him, he'll answer them next week. But uh, that's uh, that's uh, his stance there on Phelps and Tim Tebow. Yes, as well because I know um, you know I I, I actually uh, you know if he needs any um, personal advice from me as well, um, you can uh, reach out to him and uh, give him my personal. Uh, number and um, you know if I do have a lot of uh, questions for him you know uh, me and him we can actually uh, keep in touch as well and I can you know help him out with anything that he might have as well. All right well that uh, that would be very cool and again uh, uh, you know I think he's also just looking if you uh, if you have any questions about what he does or that sort of thing I think he's also uh, would would be uh, fun to answer that, but uh, James, we got to let you go here. Final few seconds. Any final thoughts before we let you go? Um, I don't have any final thoughts, but um, probably tomorrow I'll probably um, see if I could dig in the uh, trivia treasure box and uh, see what I can pull out uh, this time as well. All right. Well, we will see what you pull out of that treasure box uh, tomorrow then. All right. Sounds good. And War Eagle, guys. War Eagle. That is James from Montgomery joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. And that will conclude our number one. As uh, that went by quite quickly there, a bunch of phone calls on our Auburn Bank phone line. Get out of time for hour number one. More from the Auburn Bank phone line coming up in hour number two. Of course, we'll get to some more Auburn fall practice notes. Also have a sports call five and five. Best and worst of the weekend. A preview of Arkansas football. A lot coming up in the next two hours. Stay tuned. More sports call. All of that coming up next. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. 
We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two of Sports Call starting right now, Tiger 95.9. Ryan Lavoy, Tom Peavy, Brant Daughtry with you here on this Monday edition of the show. Still a lot to talk about this afternoon. Got to talk about the newest Auburn commitment. No, it was not K.J. Bolden, but still pretty highly ranked player, so we'll break that down a little bit later. More updates from fall camp. Spoke to coordinators this afternoon. Have what Ron Roberts and Philip Montgomery, Montgomery had to say a little bit later. Then in the 5 o'clock hour, we'll have a best and worst of the weekend. A preview of Arkansas football, also a sports call 5 at 5. So still a lot to do today on this Monday edition of the show. 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-889-TIGER-9. And join us on the Auburn Bank phone line. We now go back to the Auburn Bank phone line. Ward Dam Steve. Retire Ward Dam Steve joins us. Steve, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm cool inside. How you guys doing? Uh, we are also inside and much cooler than the outside. Yeah, it's uh, pretty uh, pretty humid here and pretty hot. But enough of my whining complaining. Tom, Brent, how you guys doing? I, I'm doing great. Just got a lot yes, of stuff sir. to talk about. All right, well, let's get to it, guys. Uh, that was a bad beat from the uh, USA women's uh, soccer team. I saw the video clip of it, how it ended. Uh, seven penalty shots. We got... Four, they got five, and the last one was, I mean, not, yeah, was four to three is, a, I forgot what the uh, final was, seven yeah. shots. Anyway, uh, it deflected off the uh, our goalkeeper's hands, and I thought it was over and done with, but then they reviewed it, and they said the ball had just barely crossed after it got deflected back into the goal. I said, wow, what's the likelihood of that uh, ever occurring? But it happened. So uh, they just were, and then I saw, disparity of the amount of goal shot attempts, I guess, that the U.S. had over Sweden. It was 22-9, to nine, I think. Yeah, as they have done for the tournament, they created more opportunities but still could not put the ball in the back of the net, and that's ultimately what you have to do, and that's why they got in the position of penalty kicks to begin with. But when you have that many opportunities, you figure, you know, odds-wise, statistics-wise, you should get at least one uh, goal from those 22 attempts. More times than not, absolutely, but nothing's 100%. And uh, this team struggled to finish uh, all tournament long. I mean, they hadn't scored in a while. They had had uh, numerous opportunities in these other matches, too. Even putting three on Vietnam felt like a little lesser than what they should have done in the very first match. So uh, to to play two straight games there with, with no goals, and, I mean, again, it was – we, we talked a little bit about it after the group play. Again, I did not get to watch a whole lot of it as I was not willing to wake up at the wee hours of the morning uh, for it. But, uh, you know, we kept talking about they showed how they were the more talented team throughout when possession and shots on goal and that sort of thing, but they didn't finish. They didn't execute. And uh, then that caused the was ultimately the worst World Cup in their history. And the Netherlands, they got ousted out as well, didn't they? I believe so, yep. Okay. All right. Well, moving on, guys. Uh, it was a, I think, a decent weekend for uh, recruitment on Auburn's side. Uh, and I'm sure some people will say, oh, Steve, a small victory. Hey, you know what? If we couldn't get uh, Mr. Bolton 
then I'm sure as heck happy that he didn't go to either Georgia or to Alabama, uh, and he went to FSU. And I still don't think it's over because you know he didn't make his comments. Um, from I saw the the acceptance of live. He didn't say anything about my commitment. Now is closed. He didn't say that. Uh, he did say that FSU was his dream team. So what do you guys think? Uh, this is over or not over yet? Well, as we discussed with Cole Pinkston last week, and we kind of uh, implied last week. You know, I, I really don't think this is one of the ones that is is rock solid. And I would have said that again. I said it last week. I would have said it this week. I I think that KJ Bolden, no matter where he committed, was not going to end up being necessarily the end of the road. Now, again, I I still think that clearly Florida State will have the edge. He's committed there, and uh, he won't be revisiting it here in the coming weeks. But uh, as we get closer to the end of the season, October, November, I thought he still had. A uh, official visit plan for Auburn. If I was reading that correctly, on uh, yeah, he does. On yep. Uh, so that's going to matter. Of course, if he ends up canceling that visit, then that's a sign Auburn's out of it. And he might be rock solid with Florida State, but it, as long as that visit's still on the books, then I, I I believe that that will not be over with. I think that the trend, as Cole Pinkston talked about, was for these kids to commit before their high school season starts. And then once they get late in the season, once their season concludes, that sort of thing, uh, then they revisit it if it's not rock solid. And, again, I, I think that this could could end up being revisited at some point. And then we did get a flip at the last moment uh, from a South Carolina uh, team, right? And he's a great – I think a great get – uh, four star, correct? Uh, Jalua Solomon, yeah, four star right. corner was uh, was for all the world looking like he'd go to South Carolina. Ends up committing to Auburn. Okay, all right. Moving on, guys. Speaking of, it's not over with. It sounds like it is over with though when it comes to the Pac-12. Since 1915, I never thought that program would somehow disappear and vanish, but it's going that way, isn't it? It is headed that way. We will see if they're able to ha- form some sort of merger with the Mountain West or flat out convince some of those teams to leave. Uh, maybe an AAC team or two like SMU. They have some limited options, but again, I stress they are extremely limited. And at the bare minimum, the Pac 12's days of being a power conference are over. They might still function as a conference. We will see. It's not maybe my. I think I don't think that's the most probable outcome, but it is an outcome. But even if they do survive in some form, they will not be a power conference any longer. And how ironic, because this year they probably have some of the best uh, teams uh, in the Pac-12 as it exists right now. You got Utah, you got USC, and Oregon, right? And Washington. Washington's going to be preseason top 15 or so. Yeah, I mean, it it, it clearly was going to be one of its best years in quite some time now that USC is back to form and uh, Oregon's in a good place, Washington's in a good place, and even, like you said, Utah has been uh, pretty consistent, reliable in that league. I mean, again, that was a – uh, again, it was gonna. It's this year will be one of its better years, absolutely, and it will be one of its best, and then it will be at its worst. And how did this happen, guys? Well, if you haven't read it, you might want to read from Philip Marshall. Uh, it's entitled "Have TV Networks Taking Control of College Football?" And the quote that I thought was rather uh, telling was uh, this: uh, He says that the the question is uh, no, no question. It's been long standing. Is how long would it take? TV money to destroy college football? The answer, maybe we're here. 
That comes from none other than Washington State head football coach Jake Dickert. Do you agree with that or not, guys? That TV money, primarily ESPN, has has destroyed college football. Well, not because I don't think it has. I disagree because I don't think it has destroyed college football. Now, is it destroying the conference alignment the way that we've all known it? Well, of course it is, but it's not going to destroy the game. Just teams are going to move to different conferences. There's going to be some weird stuff out there. I mean, as far as conference alignment goes, I mean, you've already got Texas and Oklahoma coming into the Southeastern Conference, and you know, if you're thinking regionally wise, they're not really in the SEC. There's talks about certain former Pac-12 teams maybe making a move that would be kind of head-scratching when it comes to regionality of these conferences. But the game is still going to be the game. The, the, the best teams are still going to be on the field. The best players are still going to be going to the best teams. It's still going to be, uh, to me, better than the NFL as far as not the necessary, not the product on the field, but just the the game, the everything that goes into the, all the pomp and circumstance and all the excitement and, and everything with college football, nothing with that's going to change. All the TV stuff is doing is maybe it's, it's causing some alignments and conferences that are kind of weird, but it's not going to destroy the game at all. The game is still going to be there. It's still going to be the same college game that, that we've always seen. Well, uh, his take is that uh, all this is definitely, um, he says, TV networks are mostly responsible for the money that's rained down on the bigger programs, and they're going to dictate uh, in, in many ways even the conference realignments because he says no longer will conference realignments be a geographical issue or who uh, the best teams are, but whether which areas uh, will produce the best, uh, the most revenue. And, you know, he was talking about, you know, why would you want Clemson or even uh, Florida State to join the SEC? Uh, the TV networks would say they are really that much revenue producing instead of, hey, how about the SEC taking North Carolina or Duke? They're much more of a bedrock when it comes to especially basketball for revenue uh, generating, Right. Well, I mean, in football, not necessarily. In football, I mean, football is still going to generate the most revenue. Now, in basketball, absolutely. I mean, there, there's no one that generates more than Carolina, Duke, Kentucky, maybe Kansas. I mean, yeah, the, that's that's going to – I mean, the top three brands in the sport, though, are Carolina, Duke, and Kentucky. But, you know, I think that when you're looking at what generates all the money, though – I still think the biggest basketball is not equal to the biggest football or even middle-of-the-road football. I'd have to look at all the numbers to see oh, no. exactly. No, no, you're correct. I yeah. just think if you want to add more revenue, you don't look at maybe teams like Clemson, just because they're, they're good right now in football, or even FSU. You look at, hey, who else can we bring in that can generate more revenue based on the viewing area and Right. Fans. The market is, is like the case Martin for those. Carolina, yeah. Right? Duke. Yeah, that's that's where the market impact would 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 fall because they already have a lot of South Carolina with South Carolina, uh, and and that sort of thing. And that's why we talked about last week when John Talty was reporting that what actually would would feel a little bit more uh, appealing to the SEC is North Carolina and Virginia because it would be. New states, although on the field, you know, we would always think that Florida State and Clemson would make more sense there. But the reporting is that the SEC might be more intrigued actually by North Carolina or Virginia because of opening up new markets. So that would be a strategy call on their port on their part. But I I still think that that is still 
more ways away and, and not not something that's necessarily even probable to happen because again the SEC is going to be the last one to move if they need to move and I still at this point I don't think they're doing anything as of right now I think the ACC would have to start imploding and maybe someone go to the Big Ten out of the ACC and that sort of thing so I I don't know if that's really that imminent right now okay so you don't think the ACC as Phil Marshall says is in turmoil yet not, not not as a whole. I no. think that Florida State is being is being testy, and Clemson to some degree. But that's it. Uh, the rest of the league's fine. Less the, uh, like I know North Carolina's AD is on record of, of chastising Florida State, and Florida State doesn't have a lot of leverage right now either. Like the SEC doesn't really want it, as we just just mentioned. And the Big Ten would be the most likely to want it, but they're just adding multiple Big Ten teams. They're already increasing their league. So really, it's the balls in the Big Ten court. And if the Big Ten does not want it further, add where's Florida State going to go? They can't make more money in the Big Twelve. Not really. Not by the time they, they break all their sh- those shares up. And then they certainly uh, could make more in the Big Ten and the SEC, but we just discussed that they may not be wanting to add. So they can't necessarily – Florida State does not have the leverage that they think or want to have. Speaking of leverage, guys, is it time for someone to tell Notre Dame to put up or shut up? I mean, I know a lot of people certainly frustrated with Notre Dame not – continuing to uh, or continuing to be independent but no if they get a tv deal from nbc they're staying put so you don't think uh they're i guess their revenue producing uh is going to be in any way lessened because they have not committed uh for the entire program to join a conference and they're still going to uh have leverage over the big uh conferences and right now to me they're two uh it's the big 12 and uh and us Oh, another. I mean, Notre Dame could join any. I mean, they geographically speaking, they would belong to the Big Ten more than any conference. And then uh, the well, ACC. That's what I mean. Why, right. why? Why? Why are they being allowed to call the shots when the no conference one, that has them right now for football can say, "No, you have to join us in all the sports, or you're out." I mean, you can you can criticize the ACC's partnership with it, but I mean, the if NCAA is not going to make Notre Dame do anything, you can't make someone right. do that. Well, that's and, what I wonder. Why is the ACC allowing it, though? What do you think? Well, I think they they still appreciate some value that Notre Dame can bring, especially to basketball. Though Notre Dame has been a little disappointing as a late, and maybe from the ACC's point of view, they figured if they kind of started a partnership with Notre Dame, that that might eventually coerce Notre Dame into the ACC. Although it's not playing out that way, I will say that they do have a football relationship it's just not to be a member of the conference but if you'll recall obviously about half of Notre Dame's schedule now is ACC games and what that does for the league it is valuable in the sense that it does create big matchups with their member teams and Notre Dame because obviously Notre Dame's always a big deal in football so these Clemson Notre game Notre Dame games that keep happening and and Florida State Notre Dame from time to time like that is because of the sort of agreement that they have that it's not only that Notre Dame is in as a full ACC member for other sports it's that they still are kind of halfway in still with the conference and obviously it would mean more to them if they would be a full member because they could capitalize from the TV money off of that. Uh, speaking of the ACC, they could get more money from from a network if Notre Dame was in for football, but at least they are still able to uh, put on a very meaningful games in that league involving Notre Dame with, with some big non-conference matchups. Okay, the final question, Ryan, you mentioned this. Uh, no, Tom, you did. Uh, would this 
have any any impact or not on the rivalry between Notre Dame and USC continuing to exist? Uh, it, I mean, if Notre Dame remains independent, then no. I mean, I, if they join a conference and they have a nine or ten game conference schedule, then it could. It very well could impact them. Um, obviously, if they ended up in the Big Ten somehow, then they'd be playing USC every other year or that sort of thing. Uh, so it, it, it could. We really don't know. It's really a case-by-case basis. There's Sometimes there's going to be rivalries uh, that are maintained. There's sometimes going to be rivalries like Oklahoma and Oklahoma State that are just done. And by the way, Oklahoma State is blaming Oklahoma. Oklahoma State could very well uh, schedule something a few years out and, and rekindle that themselves, but they are not wanting to do that as like, oh, well, no, Oklahoma, you left us, so you don't get to we, – we're not going to have this rivalry anymore. No, Oklahoma State's just – I mean, they, they could very easily make it in their non-conference schedule to do that. So it's really how each team responds to each rivalry in each situation. And I think Notre Dame and USC being the huge brands they were, I think it would be more likely they would continue playing. But, again, it's case by case, and, and there's no way to know that 100% until the administration Administrators talk about it. Okay, thanks for comments. Appreciate it. Real quickly, guys, moving on to Auburn uh, football. I see that apparently uh, Mr. Fat, Phat Burnett, is on the list for po- uh, potentially winning Mr. Football uh, in Alabama. Is that right? Uh, I believe so. I believe some of those preseason lists are coming out and that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. All right. And then same with Auburn football. Uh, from the comments I've read today, uh, that were kind of like summarized by. Uh, I think by uh, Jason Caldwell from uh, our offensive coordinator, Ms. Montgomery. It looks like it's going to be Ms. Thorne Blues starting quarterback and possibly second, not Ashford, but maybe Mr. Gurner. Based off the first few practices, that's the trend. Now, again, I would caution that we're only three or four practices into this. We've not seen a full scrimmage yet. The first scrimmage is Saturday. Uh, but but certainly when Auburn po- posts a video of Holden Gurner, that is not a bad sign for Holden. And then uh, when you when you have really positive comments about him today too from Philip Montgomery. Now, granted, he he did end up talking about all three quarterbacks. I think Gurner's stock is is get improving. I don't think it's a matter of Asher playing poorly. I, I think it was singled out by. Uh, Phil Montgomery today that Ashford, in fact, has been making better throws and is clearly improving with the passing. So really, at this stage, it's trying to garner – because these guys really don't mention a lot of negatives that, that are going on in fall camp. Again, it's another one of those things where it's like what everyone's doing well versus what everyone's just kind of doing in general. And it's not – good versus bad or or anything that's contrasting. So uh, publicly, these comments are going to make it seem like kind of everyone is doing well. So I don't know if there's been a cataclysmic movement or anything like that. I certainly still think that I would be surprised if it was not Peyton Thorne. And then who's number two? Okay, sure, Gurner might end up winning that. But then if Asher's not number one, he could still have a wildcat package, whether he's the number two or number three quarterback. So I'm not really sure that it matters immensely unless Peyton Thorne goes out there and plays very poorly. And then you have a situation where number two gets a shot. So uh, it is not a nothing burger, but it's also not incredibly meaningful who ends up being number two because the idea is the number one guy ends up playing well. Okay. And, you know, Josh Pate who has his own podcast, he said the same thing. He feels like it's uh, really Peyton Thorne's job to lose now. Uh, but if you were to have, say, 
uh, Ashford be in a package. You know, that kind of concerns me. But tell me if, yeah, you know, it doesn't matter, Steve. You know, because I've I known in the past when Auburn sent in a particular quarterback for a certain package, then the defense knew exactly, well, we know what's going to come out. Uh, what's going to happen, right, guys? I mean, a lot of the times, yeah, I mean, you're you're, you're betting on your execution at that standpoint, and a lot of teams are not able to out-execute the obvious. Okay, because the other end is, well, you may know what's coming on. Like, you know Bo Jackson will get the football, you got to stop it. Right. I mean, again, there's going to be certain situations in football where the other teams can feel really good about what you're doing. Again, that's where the execution part comes in and you blocking better than they can get off your blocks and you running a better route than they can defend and, and all that good stuff. I mean, that goes into the execution part of it. Um, I, I think that you're betting on with someone like Ashford that he's so dynamic as a runner. If you do choose to have certain plays with him, that he's going to make something out of nothing or he's going to be able to have a big play on occasion with his athleticism. I, in general, don't love, as most people don't love to play two quarterbacks, uh, again, you've got to prove an excellent level of execution to really make it worth your while, of which teams that are, are not usually capable of doing that consistently. So, I, look, that's why, like, if you ask me what my favorite type of quarterback is in the college game, I do like someone that can run. I do like the dual-threat guy. But the reality is it's hard for those guys to be good enough passers for what you really need, and especially as Auburn tries to transition and have these bigger-bodied wide receivers, these higher-touted wide wide receivers. They're not going to want to run 50 times a game. They're going to want to at least be balanced, if not throw it just a little bit more uh, than run it. So I, I think that you're looking at a situation for – yeah, you're you're gonna probably have Peyton Thorne at quarterback. Should Robbie Ashford play in a Wildcat? You can try it against the weaker teams. If it goes really well, then you graduate on to a play here or there against a good team. But again, you gotta be cautious with that stuff because you really gotta execute it. And a team that did that pretty well was Florida, uh with Mr. Tim Tebow. And that's what everyone tries to emulate, but again, it is it is not done successfully very often. Again, there's a there's proof that it can happen and it can work. And Tebow's the most obvious example of that, and the original example of that uh, in some instances. But again, it's not uh, it's 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 possible to mess it up. We uh, one one last thought for Steve, and then we got to let you go today. Okay, uh, there was a fight that broke out today in LSU at their practice. Did you uh, read about that? I, I read about it. It sounded like a big brawl. They sent a bunch to the locker room and a couple of them, but I, I, I take that with a grain of salt. I've, I have seen massive fights break out on football fields during practices, and it, it's just when you get a bunch of alpha males in there already physically making contact and fighting with each other, and, I mean, just uh, things happen. It, it, that's not the first time a football team has gotten in a fight with each other. It's not the last time. It's part of it. No big deal. Okay. Well, somebody on Twitter named by the name of Wilson Alexander said Brian Kelly was not happy with it. So. Well, I'm sure I'm, I'm sure he's not. You're not happy anytime you let your emotions get the best of you because you have to be able to control those emotions when you get into a real game. And so you're not going to be happy with that when you start fighting yourselves because you can't let the emotions and your – you just can't let your emotions get the best of you in a situation like that because if you're doing they always say you practice like you play and if in practice you're fighting each other and and causing yourself to get what would be a suspension or a kicked off the team or at the least a 15-yard penalty if you're doing that in practice then that starts relating to the way you play so you practice the way you play if you're fighting each other and and losing control of yourself in practice 
then you're going to lose control of yourself in a game. And so that's where he's not happy with it. Okay. Well, the countdown continues uh, for, has anyone seen Jarquez Hunter? I, I saw somebody said that he was at the facility, um, I think, yesterday or two days ago. But, I mean, that, the university is still investigating. So okay. that, that's and, all it is. Okay. Uh, you know, hopefully we'll see. But uh, Jason Caldwell says they are pretty confident he'll be uh, playing on the team. So tomorrow, guys, uh, we'll talk about the abysmal attendance at the Hall of Fame induction in Canton, Ohio, over the weekend. Sure. Okay. That's it, guys. Thanks for your time, as always. And I would like to uh, just real quickly say, James had a really good suggestion, and I hope you guys will think about it. I would like to hear from all of our callers uh, about how they became a fan of their respective teams, what happened, how that come about for them. Sure. I'd like to hear their stories. Okay, that's it, guys. Thanks for your time, as always. My time is way, way up. And so y'all guys have a relaxing and safe afternoon and evening, and we'll do this again tomorrow. War Eagle. War Eagle C. Appreciate your phone call. That is Retire Ward AMC joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. We need to get to our next timeout. Back with more sports call right after this. Sports Call is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. If you are currently driving in a four-door sedan, roll up the windows and turn up the radio. We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. This is Philip Lolly, former Auburn Tigers football assistant coach for the 2010 National Championship team, and you are listening to Sports Call. Sports Call Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan Lavoy, Brant Daughtry, Tom Peavy with you here on this Monday edition of the program. Want to get into a couple Auburn things here as we're already halfway through. Let's start with that commitment this weekend. Again, a lot of people were looking towards this weekend as a potential K.J. Bolden commitment. Of course, he did make a commitment, but it was to Florida State over Auburn, over Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State with the other helmets on the board there. Again, we have a reason to believe, based off another visit he has scheduled in October with Auburn, things might not be over yet for K.J. Bolden. I was one of those guys that Cole Pinkston mentioned last week, regardless of where he was going to go, recruiting process probably not over, just somebody that, uh, again, wants to commit before his senior season of high school. So, again, we might be circling back to that in two, three, four months uh, as we approach signing day. But what Auburn was able to do, is get another solid commitment in the defensive backfield. Uh, not really pivoting because they got uh, this 
this kid before K.J. Bolden. But they got their now seventh-highest-rated commit of the 2024 cycle in the form of Jalewis Solomon, a four-star corner out of the state of Georgia. Surprise, surprise, they're Auburn with another solid pickup from the state. Uh, the number 269 player nationally on the on-three industry ranking, two services have him as a four-star, as high as number 143 in the country when you look at the rivals rating 158 on ESPN. They had three-star assignments by on-three and 247. Well, this is an athlete, but has been a defensive back in college. So, again, another commitment for the Tigers. Uh, now, overall, the 15th in the 2024 cycle. And Again, not the big prize, but still positive momentum. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it kind of feels like Auburn realized that they weren't going to get K.J. Bolden, and obviously he committed to FSU later and might have called up Jalewis Solomon and said, hey, we were saving this for this guy, but he's not coming here, so now we want to offer it to you. And he flipped his commitment at the 11th hour because it was it felt like the Cam Coleman thing where he flipped to Texas A&M at the very, on the date of his announcement. Uh, it, it very much felt like Jalewis Solomon was a South Carolina lock. Everybody felt that way. And then he just commits to Auburn. So it, it kind of feels like Auburn just kind of freed up a, a space for him. Uh, and he you know, saw Auburn as a better opportunity than South Carolina, which it definitely is. Uh, but I, I think that uh, he's a good player. You know, Obviously, like you said, not the biggest fish. Uh, but certainly a really good player anytime you can get a four-star athlete. And, and you touched on it a minute ago, Ryan, I think in our last segment, the secondary class that Auburn is building in the class of 24 is is looking stronger and stronger. There's yeah. you got some some really good players in that group, and I, you know, I don't know how many more you're looking to add, but as it stands right now, you've got some really talented players at that spot. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this Jalewis Solomon is a, is a kid that you can play in multiple roles because, like you said, he is listed as a quote-unquote athlete you're expecting him to be defensive back, but you can use him in a lot of roles. Uh, six foot one, hundred eighty five pounder. Uh, he's out of Ellaville, Georgia, Schley County High School. Uh, he uh, see eighty six receptions, one thousand two hundred ten yards, and ten touchdowns as a wide receiver, and then twenty nine tackles uh, with a three point five uh, tackles for loss on the defensive side of things. So he's a guy that you can use however you want him. I mean, he, he's uh, he's one of those puzzle pieces that you, it, uh, if your depth at wide receiver is not where you think it is then you can use him there if, if you need that depth at the uh, defensive back position you've got him there so it's a valuable a valuable thing to have a guy that you can use in multiple roles and in multiple ways so uh yeah you don't get the big fish but you get a you get a good one and uh that's one of the things you have to do if you realize you're that you're about to miss on a on a big target you need to have one lined up so that you're not just sitting there with, with a void and so I, I i agree i think that kj probably informed the coaching staff that i'm going to make this move and then they went ahead and made the move ahead of it and uh looking trying to compare one of something i wanted to do real quickly was kind of compare again quality and, and where these type of guys are shaping into the commitment class because again that is something where auburn with, with 15 players is less than most of the schools really all the schools in front of them but that that average maintains in the top five for average recruit ranking. So right now, Julius Solomon is the seventh highest rated player that Auburn has for 2024, seventh out of 15. I went back and looked at the last two years. He would have ranked as the eighth highest player in the class completed from the last two years. So what that means is that was a guy that ended up being top third 
uh, almost bordering on top quarter of the class from the last two years. Right now, he's only at the halfway point in terms of quality. So uh, we'll see how the rest of it goes. It might end up that he still finishes at the eighth, ninth top-rated recruit in the class, and then it would be similar in that fashion. But if things continue the way they have gone on just the average type of player they get, he'll end up around 12th, 13th in the class, and then you'll see kind of the difference in the in the lack of quality in previous years and the uh, increased quality this year. So Auburn moves up one spot in the ranking with it. They move up to number 14 on the on three rankings uh, and, again, continue to maintain that top five average uh, recruit ranking again. Still a lot of SEC teams in front of them. Again, a lot of SEC teams have already done the majority of their work. Uh, again, DeAndre Carter is going to be a big target for Auburn here, literally and figuratively, here in the in the coming weeks uh, as they try to get land that big four-star lineman from Modern Day High School in uh, California. Uh, again, there still might be hopes to flip uh, someone like KJ Bolden or someone like Cam Coleman. Again, I'm not simply just saying this because, oh, they didn't go to Auburn. Of course, those guys are not fully committed. Uh, the reality is I'm just not sold that Cam Coleman would would stick with A&M if there's a coaching change there. And, of course, we would know that by the end of the season. We would know that by signing day in December. And then we've always said, and I would have told you this, if he had committed to Auburn, it would have been a great problem to have. But we hold from heard from Cole Pinkson, no matter where K.J. Bowen was going to go, that this recruitment is, does not feel done. That does not mean he would flip to Auburn, even necessarily. Georgia would still be involved there. Maybe in Alabama or Ohio State would try to get back involved. So, again, it's not out of the realm possible. Depending how things go in the fall, depending how the recruiting processes continue, uh, that Bolden is completely out of the works. But I will say, from not making the top 15 in the month of January when that was released to being one of the final three in all circles uh, was, again, we don't love the moral victories, but at least prove it as a sign that there was a lot of work done in the last seven months. And sometimes you don't always land those type of guys, but to get into that final three was something that – was not on the table whatsoever to start 2024. Yeah, when you when you're when you're fighting against the big boys, when you're fighting against Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State and Miami and in schools that always recruit well, LSU, uh, just to throw another one in there, it, you're not going to win all of them. Uh, the the idea is to have your biggest target, and then if you don't get that guy, okay, that's fine. You can reset to another guy, and that's exactly what Auburn did. K.J. Bolden's going to Florida State. Okay, Jalewis Solomon, we're better than South Carolina. You're still a really good player. You're good enough to play here. Boom, we've got a spot for you. And that's the way you have to handle recruiting. I, I've, I've said a lot of things about Hugh Freeze on this show, uh, and I still hold many of those opinions, but it's very clear that he understands the level of talent you have to have to be good in the SEC. And he, has, uh, he is aware of the type of player that you have to recruit and how hard recruiting is. And uh, he is—he has certainly done a very good job. Now he's still not inside the top ten, which is where you—which is where you eventually need to be if you're going to compete for titles. But uh, it's certainly in, heading in that direction. And we've heard a lot about the class of 25 as well, uh, and the work that he's done in there. Now, obviously, those kids are a long way out, but uh, certainly the class of 24 is shaping up well. Still got a lot of time to throw this class together, and uh, the class of 25 after that is where you're going to have really caught up with those other schools as far as. How much time have you spent working on these kids? And look, look, this is a part of it, as you mentioned, too. When you're 
big game hunting when you're going for the biggest recruits, you're going to lose some of these battles. Yeah. It was tempting for me or for, I don't know, maybe others thought this, for someone like Georgia to be, quote, struggling this past week because they lost to Marcus Riddick to Auburn, because a couple weeks before they lost Joe Phillips, because they didn't land uh, KJ and someone out of B for Georgia not far and yet they then turn around, they get a high four-star running back yesterday, yeah. Nathaniel Frazier, top 50 player, and they maintain a number one recruiting ranking. The 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 price is for this is that you're going to go after 50 of the top 150 players. Guess what? You can't get 50. You know, you can't really even get 30 all the time. Some will. But uh, usually you're going to get a lot of no's. That's part of the process. Again, I'm not saying that, hey – Everyone should be great with all these no's. There has to be some yeses. The good news for Auburn is they got a couple of those yeses uh, in previous weeks from Demarcus Riddick and Perry Thompson. So that is a part of it. When you are going for these top 20, top 50 players, we know Hugh Free said the bit uh, last Thursday where he said that he'd contacted all the top 25 players for 2025 already when it was permissible to do so. So, look, you're, guess what? The, the, Auburn might get in on five or ten of them. Might get the hat on there on the table, but Auburn would be great if they just got three of them. Uh, three five-stars is a solid haul. Uh, five five-star makes you the number one or two class in the country. So, again, you talk, you're contacting all these kids. You're losing way more battles than you win. It's the nature of it. Uh, so Auburn does lose uh, this battle uh, over the weekend, but – uh, still maintain a couple big victories in previous weeks. Got another solid four-star player over the weekend. And again, moves up one more spot in the recruiting rankings up to number 14. We're going to take our next time out of the show back to wrap things up in hour number two right after this. Don't want to call into the show? Send us your thoughts via email. You've got mail. Sports call at the tiger.fm. Now back to the multi time Abbey Award winning sports call. Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan Boyd, Tom Peavy, Brant Donfrey with you here on this Monday afternoon. It has been a sweltering one. Oof. Uh, can I interest you in triple digit plus Oof. heat index? No. Uh, Brooks and I went to that uh, media availability earlier today for the, uh, the offensive defense coordinators, which we can talk about in just a moment, Philip Montgomery and Ron Roberts. And the car, I, I, have, a, uh, I have a car that has a dark interior. So we sat it, uh, we parked it at like 11, 20, 11, 30, and we were back to it about 12.45 after an hour. And uh, it was like 105 in the car and uh, was needing about 15 minutes worth of AC to catch it up to where it seemed normal. <laughs> I mean, it was, uh, 
I'm sure there's a lot of people feeling that uh, today. If you go leave your car outside or anything, you get inside, and it's just not inhabitable for <laughs> until you get the AC rocking. Uh, so, again, it is uh, but scorching, yet there might be a few thunderstorms later this, uh, later this evening. So, again, life, uh, life as it goes, summer in Alabama. All right, as we continue on with the show today, a little bit later than usual, let's get today's birthdays and sports. It's time for today's birthdays and sports. All right, good list of birthdays today. Don't have full bio, so I'll just kind of run from my recollection of uh, players. Uh, personal opinions only here, not facts <laughs> as is usual. We'll start off today with Mike Trout. Uh, Trout, the great uh, outfielder for the Angels. He's a big-time player in high school, right, Tom? Yes, at Millville Senior High School in New Jersey. Go Thunderbolts. That's, that's a, a good great one. name. Oh, we, we got go. a, we got a really good one coming up. Oh, and that's not even the really good one. No. Okay, uh, so Mike Trout uh, turning thirty-two today. By the way, I mean that's that's kind of sad, honestly. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, like that's still incredibly young in the game of life, but in the game of baseball, uh, that is not very young, uh, and the injuries are going to keep adding up for him. And I just there's this fear. I'm sorry, I'm going way too wrong already on Trout. There's this fear that those idiot voters with the Hall of Fame process would be like, hey, didn't play long enough, healthy enough, or something. Just yeah. something like, if he fell off tomorrow, would he end up being voted in the Hall of Fame? And the answer should be yes. Everybody's like, oh, he's been one of the best players in the league for 10 years. That's not good enough for those idiots. They're just idiots <laughs> that vote on the Hall of Fame. So uh, it, I don't know. But future Hall of Famer by normal standards. Mike Trout turns 32 today. A great, a, a great what if. Like, what what if Mike Trout did not play for the Angels for his entire career? Then he would have been in decidedly more postseason games than yeah, he has been to date. Absolutely. And will be because he signed that basically, I don't, it's not a lifetime contract, but a it's deal darn that's, close. that's long enough to be when he retires in the league. And I want to see him make playoffs at some point. Anyway, Mike Trout is 32 today. DeMar DeRozan is 34 today. Uh, he has had a very nice career. Toronto Raptors, San Antonio Spurs, uh, one of the better shooting guards in the league uh, still to this day. Also a big fan of his mid-range game, which contrary to popular belief is still permissible in the game of basketball. Uh, DeMar DeRozan coming out of USC. Go Trojans. And uh, where'd he go to high school, Tom? All right, so here you go. This is the good is this one. This is the number one? Okay. This is the good one. Uh, so DeMar DeRozan is from Compton, California. He went to Compton High School. They are the Tartar Babies. I'm sorry, the what? Like tartar, tartar sauce? No, Tartar, like Tartar, Tart. So anyway, Compton High School used to be combined with Compton College. Okay. <laughs> Compton College are called the Tartars, which are named after the Turkic, the Turkish Tartars. So. The, the warriors, the Turkish warriors with the big swords and things like that, was that. So then they named the high school were the Baby Tartars. Kind of like how Auburn High School used to be, be the, the Baby, baby tigers. tigers. Exactly. Okay. okay. I didn't know what a Tartar was. Um, uh, <laughs> it's got a really cool little uh, mascot. Let's see, what is it? It had a whole thing here. Oh, uh, Compton College's uh, nickname is the Tartars, named after the Turkic Tartars. So the team nickname for Compton High School became the Tartar Babies. The mascot is Baby Tartar, who wears a diaper and carries a big sword. <laughs> That's great. I'm sorry that was 
I should have done that one last. That is funny. I should have done that one last just just because of the name. I apologize. My oh, wow. order my order of operations was off. Yeah, because it gets worse. It gets worse after that. It's just gonna be just. But yeah, calm stuff. So the Compton High School torture babies. Oh wow! All right, next up, <laughs> that was Demar Derozan. He's thirty four today. Uh, Edgar Renteria turns forty eight today. Former shortstop in Major League Baseball, and played for a lot of different teams. The then Florida Marlins, St. Louis Cardinals, Boston Red Sox. He was a Brave for a couple of years. Tigers, Giants, and Reds all at the end. Oh, my. Uh, one of the uh, the better hitting shortstop in the leagues for a long time. Uh, quality 286 hitter over 2,300 career hits. Uh, those were facts. Those were not opinions. I was reading some stuff there. Uh, but he was a really quality shortstop for a long period of time. Yeah, he was. And, uh, so he is from uh, Barranquilla, Barranqu- excuse me, Barranquilla, Colombia. Uh, in fact, uh, his nickname, I uh, saw it on there, the Barranquilla Baby is what they called him. What's and, with all these babies yeah. today? <laughs> now, I don't have a mascot for this, but as youth, he attended Instituto Los Alpes High School in Barranquilla, Colombia. After high school, he was signed by the Florida Marlins at the age of 16 by Scout Levi Ochoa. Ochoa. And he did a great job of evaluating so, talent. As yeah. Edgar Entry yeah, was I'm not sure if uh, Los Alpes High School in Barranquilla has a mascot, but that's where he went to high school. There you go. And then uh, last but not least, Jalen Hurts turns 25 today, former Alabama and Oklahoma quarterback. Who, Boomer. Uh, now I'll just qu- leave it at right. that. <laughs> now uh, quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. Had a tremendous season last year. Led the Eagles to a uh, Super Bowl berth. Uh, losing to the Kansas City Chiefs, but had a very great offensive matchup. But again, due to the offensive schemes of Philly and the uh, development of Jalen Hurts, who uh, had a 22 touchdown, 3,700 yard passing year last year for the Eagles. And before the Eagles, and before Alabama, and before uh, he was at Channel View High School in Channel View, Texas. Go Falcons! Okay, Falcons. Still, Falcons is more common, but uh, not bad when that's the most common thing uh, of the week so or of the day. The Channel View American football team plays in an 8,000-seat stadium. The stadium municipally funded was opened in 2012 at a cost of $27 million. Oh. So, yeah, that's a big high school stadium. Yeah, and $27 million, 8,000-seat stadium for Channel View. Yeah. Pretty impressive stuff. So those are the birthdays in sports today. Jalen Hurts, 25. Edgar Renteria, 48. DeMar DeRozan, 34. Mike Trout, 32. That will do it for the second hour of the program. Stay tuned a lot ahead in hour number three. We're not even going to probably get to conference realignment at this point, but we still got a sports call five at five. We'll tell you about the five biggest quarterback races in the Southeastern Conference. After that, we'll preview Arkansas football for 2023. And after that, the best and worst of the weekend. You're listening to the Monday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. 
Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brand Dontree, Tom Peavy with you here on this Monday afternoon. Fun show so far. We had some of our great callers. Also had a trip to the Auburn Make phone line to talk to Grant Enfinger of the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. If you missed any of that, check it out in the Sports Call podcast brought to you by Coca-Cola. If you ever miss Sports Call Live or if you want to hear something again, make sure you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Join Ice Cold Coca-Cola to go along with the hottest sports talk. Coca-Cola, taste the feeling. All right, time for the Sports Call 5 at 5. Again, we picked back up the segment last week. It's brought to you by Southeastern Land Group. John Harden and Brian Watts are your local land advisors with Southeastern Land Group. Land is always a sound financial investment but it's also an investment in time with your family and friends, and Brian and John can help you find the perfect property for you. If you're looking to sell your land and get maximum exposure to potential buyers, your friends at Southeastern Land Group can also help you with that too. Call John Harden at 334-524-2756 or call Brian Watts at 334-707-4273 or find them online at selandgroup.com. Com. So time for another Sports Call 5 at 5, brought to you by Southeastern Land Group. Here we go. Number one. Number one, we start off uh, as we go through the top five SEC quarterback battles in no particular order, just naming five of the key SEC quarterback battles. We start over in Athens with Carson Beck versus Brock Vandergriff. This is one that is not as much of a battle. It does not feel like. It feels like Carson Beck has the inside track. That is where... All the publications believe it will end up landing. Of course, still these guys, high-profile guys, unlike the previous quarterback at Georgia, Stetson Bennett, who, of course, walked on. Uh, These guys, a little bit more normal process of being high-ranked recruits coming to Georgia. And so uh, got a couple of key receivers and obviously the great tight end and Brock Bowers to throw to. So just getting them the ball, what Georgia's trying to figure out, part of their offensive plan after they replace Stetson Bennett again between Carson Beck and Brock Vandergriff. Number two. Number two is here, of course, at Auburn. It is a now pretty legitimate three-person battle. Shame on me for saying it was mainly just two and that they were kind of letting Holden Gurner be a part of it, even though it was not likely he would end up uh, moving up the depth chart. Uh, A lot of people feeling he's got a real shot at number two. We'll see where it goes from there. But again, Peyton Thorne, Robbie Astrid, Holden Gurner. Again, listened to some coordinators earlier today. And again, really positive things to say about the development. Really, just about everybody. Again, that is the nature of fall practice. That is the nature of as you prep for the season, you talk about the things you are trying to improve in slash are improving in. And again, uh, all three of those guys were mentioned positively by offensive coordinator Phil Montgomery. Again, still the belief Peyton Thorne leads the way but maybe holding Gurner gaining on Robbie Astrid for that second spot. We'll see if they cut it down. Five. I heard 10 practice mark back in the uh, summer. I've heard five practice mark here in the fall, which, again, will be coming up with another practice or two. So we'll see 
if and when exactly they narrow it down to two people and who that will be. Number three is the quarterback race over in Tuscaloosa, and it is also a three-person race. Ty Simpson, Tyler Buckner, Jalen Milrow. Simpson, a a newer player into the fold there, another uh, big recruit. Tyler Buckner, the former quarterback at Notre Dame that got off to an inauspicious beginning last season, was then replaced, and Notre Dame ended up playing a a lot better than Buckner did last year. And then Jalen Milrow is who filled in uh, for an injured Bryce Young at times last year. Milrow, of course, we know a little bit about him on the field. Uh, was not an awful passer, but certainly not advanced in any way, but was an excellent runner. We'll see if the passing has developed. Uh, I believe I've heard uh, Greg McElroy talk very positively about Ty Simpson's ability, so we'll see if Simpson leads the way. But three-person race there between Ty Simpson, Tyler Buckner, Jalen Milrow. Number four. A battle that has intrigued me from the start, even dating back to the spring over in Oxford, Mississippi, and that is Jackson Dart versus Spencer Sandlers versus Walker Howard. All three are in the mix. I still believe I'd be surprised if it was not Dart v. Sanders by the end of it. Uh, Walker Howard was the uh, big-time transfer from LSU that did not get to play with the rise of Jalen Daniels last year. Uh, You then had... Jackson Dark, who was actually the starter for Ole Miss throughout last year. Not impressive numbers necessarily. At times looked pretty good. At times was a little iffy. At times that RPO stuff maybe a little too quick through that. And so Dart was okay, but not good enough to Ole Miss not to go portal hunting. And, of course, they also landed Spencer Sanders, who at one point was a potential Auburn target. Also Sanders' multi-year start at Oklahoma State. And, again, an interesting transfer decision for someone that's about out of eligibility. If he does not end up winning this job, it kind of looks like an in vain transfer. So we'll see uh, what the read becomes in Oxford, of course, Either way, I still trust their offense to be good. Uh, they'll still want one of those guys to ultimately clear themselves as the guy and to play better than the others. But even with Dart last year, offense still felt pretty good. And, of course, they'll have Quinshawn Junkins, but a three-person race between Walker Howard, Jackson Dart, and Spencer Sanders. And last up, number five. On the sports call, five at five, the five SEC quarterback battles to watch out for. We talked a little bit about this one last week when we were previewing Florida, and that is Graham Mertz and Jack Miller. That one is not believed to be too hotly contested. I believe Graham Mertz will end up being the starter, the multi-year starter from Wisconsin. But, again, not robust numbers at Wisconsin. Of course, many of those Big Ten offenses, especially someone like Wisconsin, does not always allow you to have a very open playbook and does not uh, does not yield itself to uh, a lot of more dynamic type of offense. But uh, an experienced guy trying to replace Anthony Richardson, and of course, Jack Miller is a transfer from Ohio State. Of course, play, players that go to Ohio State normally highly recruited, highly ranked. Uh, not no different there for Jack Miller. So those are the five. SEC quarterback battles to watch out for on the Sports Call 5 at 5 presented by Southeastern Land Group. The battles in Georgia, Auburn, Alabama, Ole Miss, and Florida. We're going to take our first time out here of hour number three. When we come back, we'll start to preview Arkansas football. And a little bit later, we will have a best and worst of the weekend. You're listening to the Friday or Monday edition. Excuse me. I'm not to the weekend yet. It was just the weekend. This is the Monday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. 
wants to hear from you. Give us a phone call at 334-887-3401. Now back to Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brain Dottery, Tom Peavy with you here on this Monday edition of the program. We continue each and every day. We might not be able to Friday because uh, our Friday show is going to function a little bit differently. We'll tell you about that later uh, in the week. But uh, we continue to go through a new SEC team each and every day. I, I don't want to frame it as new. You might think that there are like eight new SEC teams joining the league. Maybe one day there's going to be two next year. Uh, who knows with this ever-changing environment, but just simply going through the various SEC teams' outlook for 2023. By the time we culminate this, we'll be on week zero. Uh, we will be getting ready for the first uh, SEC team's involvement, uh, which would be Vanderbilt versus Hawaii on that week zero. So we're getting there. We're getting very close to football. It's uh, our turn now to go through. Got a couple West teams coming up in the early part of this week. We start with... Arkansas, fourth year for Sam Pittman with the Razorbacks. Of course, 2020, just to recap his three years in Fayetteville, 2020 record-wise was not great. It was 3-7, and seven, of course, with all league games. But again, remembering the Chad Morris tenure of 2-10 and 10 in the prior seasons, 3-7 uh, and seven in conference play felt like a victory. 2021 was a legitimately solid season. The Razorbacks went 9-4. and four. They concluded that season uh, with a ninth win against Penn State in the Outback Bowl. It was a top 25 year for the Razorbacks last Last year, a little bit of regression, a lot of heartbreak for the for the Hogs. They went six and six in the regular year. They were able to beat Kansas in one of the most entertaining bowl games of bowl season, fifty-five to fifty-three in the Liberty Bowl to still stay above five hundred. So a seven and six record for the Razorbacks. Uh, a little bit of new offensive scheme this year, guys, for Arkansas. They were picked because we're kind of doing this, working our way from the bottom of the SEC up. They were picked fifth in the Western Division. Uh, I always like the ceiling and floor comments and commentary on when we're doing these type of things, but what do you see uh, from the Razorbacks? I mean, this just feels like a very important, maybe even defining year for Sam Pittman. I agree. I, I think that Sam Pittman's kind of on the hot seat. This was supposed to be their year. I, I, I'm not going to say hot seat as in if they have like a 6-6 six and six season again, he's definitely gone. But I think if they have a losing season, it, there could be some calls for his job. If he has a mediocre season, I think those cries will get louder. This was the, supposed to be the year Sam Pittman had really got Arkansas rolling. He was supposed to come in, and this was the year they were supposed to compete with Alabama. And then in Fayetteville, they got snapped in half. It was not a, it was not a close game. It, it, never, it never approached being a close game. It, so... I don't know that this last season kind of shook some of my belief in Sam Pittman. And if I, as someone who is not an Arkansas fan feels that way, then you know that Arkansas is definitely going to start feeling that way. If there's a, if, if this season does not get off to a hot start, I think their game against BYU is going to tell us a lot. And then they have to travel to LSU. That's a very telling two week stretch. 
for them. If they come, if they enter that Texas A&M game at four and zero, I think uh, I think you're looking at a very very good season for Arkansas. Even if they enter at three and one, say they lose at LSU, that obviously Death Valley, one of the tougher environments in all of college football. But if they get through. Uh, their game against Western Carolina and Kent State, and then they beat BYU. Then I, I think that's that's that means they can have a pretty good season. If they obviously if they beat LSU in Baton Rouge, that's uh, you know you're you're looking at really lofty goals. But I think that game against BYU is going to be the early test for them. And I think if they come out on top of that, you're looking at a much better season than if they lose that game. Uh, I, my my big thing is I mean anytime you've got. An offense that's led by a very experienced and high-powered quarterback like KJ Jefferson, you're you're already in really good shape. But they've had to overhaul a lot, and so uh, I, I agree. I mean, for Sam Pittman, I mean, this, this is going to be a make-or-break year. I, I really believe that because it, it's kind of one of those that we've talked about before, especially when you start looking at, at the West, or, or at least for now, what is called the SEC West. Alabama is still not going anywhere. LSU showed that. They're leaps and bounds better than what was happening there. So they're on the rise. You have to think that Auburn looks like they might be about to start making some steps forward. The recruiting Texas A&M, always a danger with the way they recruit. Now you got Bobby Petrino. If Arkansas wants to feel like they can make that climb up there, then they cannot start finding themselves slipping away. And so another bad season, when you have a really good player and you have some really good players and you have a lot of – uh, hype from what happened a couple of years ago. You have to keep that momentum, and if you're not, then you're going to have to make a change. So that's why I think it's a it's a make or break season for for Sam Pittman and the Razorbacks, just because they cannot find themselves slipping further behind the the more elite teams of the West. When we break down this conference as a whole, we pick our winners and our sleepers and our, our bust, whatever. When we when we do that, the final week here of the of the preseason, the end of August. There's going to be a few programs that I'm going to talk about that these are extra important. This is an extra important year for them because of what's about to happen. Oklahoma and Texas will get in this league in 2024. And with it, they will shift most of this league down two spots in the pecking order. Now, maybe not by the current team. Like if Oklahoma has another whoops year like they had with Brent Venable. I know Texas has been perennially made fun of. Are they back? Are they not? I've done it all the time. I get it. But when they enter this league with their resources, their history, their desire, their ability, their ceiling, everything that goes with Oklahoma and Texas, they will knock the majority of this league down two spots. And the teams that I find that most relevant to are the teams like Arkansas who fight for the middle of this league because what was the bottom middle will become the straight-out bottom when we get to 16 teams. And a program like Arkansas is trying to stay out of that bottom. It has every ability to do that. But to be predisposed to stay out of that bottom, you need to have positive momentum. You need to have a solid head coach in place, and you need to have positive momentum going into next year when the recruiting gets that much more difficult right now. And really, it's it's now ending because of the 2024 cycle. But right now, you could have said, hey, Oklahoma and Texas, uh, these or these recruits, you want to go there and play Kansas, Cartoon Bird? You want to go over there and play Iowa State? And the Cyclone, does that really appeal to you? You want to be on TV every single week in the SEC in front of all these eyeballs playing Alabama, Auburn, LSU, whoever. That is a recruiting pitch. It's not necessarily the most effective one, but it was a recruiting pitch. That will no longer be able to be pitched. 
uh, from this point going forward. So their place in this league is at stake, and they are one of the teams that are going to be falling two more spots down once Oklahoma and Texas join it. The way they can save that off for at least a period of time is if they're hot, if they're playing well, if they've got a good coach. And if they can have a year more like 2021 where they were 9-4, and four, that is more of the lines of, okay, maybe they can fight off Oklahoma and Texas. Hell, they just played Texas two years ago. They beat them by 19. Like this in time, will that happen? No. Texas and Oklahoma will win out in time. That's still my belief that their history will at some, port, uh, at some point matter. They're two of the top eight to ten programs of all time. There's a certain level where you don't just fade into oblivion off of, and I believe Oklahoma and Texas fit that, fit that bill. But – you can keep it for the next five, ten years if you can keep winning these battles today. And so it's a big year for Arkansas in that point of view. I don't necessarily think, as Brant said, I don't think five and seven or six and six necessarily they're going to throw Sam Pittman out the door. It's going to make it one year away from that, and it's going to make things very uncomfortable. It's going to set you back. It's going to do all the things I told you that are very important. But this can set your program up for the next few years. So when you're looking at how it's going to go for them this season, the clear important part of their schedule is games three through eight. That is the meat and potatoes of their schedule. You got Western Carolina and Kent State to start 2 0. Congrats on that. And then you have BYU. Arkansas scored 50 at BYU last year. So I still think the physicality, BYU is getting into the Big 12, but that does not mean they have four classes of Big 12 players. And so I expect Arkansas to still move BYU around how they need to move them around. And so, especially in Fayetteville, I'm going to give them 3-0. But then that stretch, at LSU, host A&M, at Ole Miss, at Alabama, host Mississippi State. Here's why all that's important. Some of those are obvious. At LSU, that's a big program. That's the top 10 team of the preseason. Obviously important. Texas A&M is important because A, it's a rival, and B, that's the same occupancy space in the middle of the SEC. Last year, that A&M game might have changed their season. They lose that doinker. Uh, to Texas A&M. They lose by two. They then get beat by Alabama. They then just forget to care about Mississippi State and lose by 20. They try to reset themselves last year against BYU, against Auburn, but then they have the unbelievable game against Liberty, which possibly solidified Hugh Freeze to Auburn, and then they had a heck of a game against LSU. They lost 13-10. to uh, They they beat Mississippi. They beat Ole Miss. They're part of the downfall of the last few weeks for Ole Miss, and then they inexplicably lose to Missouri. It was such a tumultuous season to them, and I still feel it was set up by AM. There's a world where Arkansas wins nine or ten games last year. Like It's not that far-fetched, but if it could go wrong, it did for them. And so can they right those wrongs? Can they beat Texas A&M and Arlington? That is such an important game for Arkansas. Then they go to Ole Miss. Looks on the road. But, again, they beat Ole Miss last year. Scored 42 on them. Then they go to Alabama. The difference here is it's the same structure, right, where it goes Alabama and then Mississippi State. So what happens in those two weeks before? What happens to A&M and Ole Miss games? Can Arkansas at least split those games, if not win them both? Because they're gonna. I still think they're going to lose to Alabama. I still think they're going to lose to LSU. So that's two losses in there. Do they exit Mississippi State four and four or five and three? They're five and three. I could see them go, going forward in the last four. They are at Florida. But Florida's not going to be great. Have they figured out by that point of the year? Maybe, but maybe they figured out Billy Napier's not destined to be at Florida long. And then with Auburn, they host Auburn. If it's at Auburn, that's problematic. But 
they did beat Auburn by multiple touchdowns last year. Of course, different coach. Everything's going to be different. No idea what Auburn will be at that point in the year. Auburn will hopefully be improving, and Auburn hopefully wins that game. But I think right now, today in Vegas, Arkansas is going to probably favor that game at home. Then FIU, and then please don't lose to Missouri again if you're <laughs> if you're an Arkansas fan. So my, the moral of the story is Auburn's their most difficult game probably, or at Florida just because of location in the last four games. Well, Auburn still picked below them in the SEC West, and Auburn still should, in theory, no be no more than a seven or eight win team this year. And again, that is the home that is a home game. So for you, if you're if a supporter of Arkansas, you can get out of five and three. I feel you can win the next four and and be nine and three, and that's a top twenty-five team in the SEC, probably top twenty. You get in a good bowl game, that's positive momentum. That is a year very akin to two thousand twenty-one. But if you're four and four and you have the doubts in your mind, you had a bad loss. Say you say you messed up. You, you lost to AM and Ole Miss. You haven't really beaten anybody. Or say you mess up and lose that Mississippi State game, something like that. Then all of a sudden, that at Florida looks kind of troublesome. That might be a battle for a bowl game, or or that host Auburn. Auburn might come in with more wins than you at that point, and they might be favored. So all of a sudden, that last four looks different just based off of if you could take one out of two between Texas A&M and Ole Miss. So that's kind of how I treat that and how I look at that. If you were if you were looking ceiling floor, Brant, let's let's do the ceiling floor. Or if you have another thought, real quickly before we do a ceiling floor, I, I do actually. I'm looking at that Texas A&M game on September 30th, and I'm thinking of the implications of that game. Yeah, that game could very well set the the loser of the of this game on the path to firing their head coach at the end of the season. Sure. If things don't go well past that game, but I'm, it, that could be a jumping off point for the winner, and it could be a crashing point for the loser. So ceiling and floor wise, I think I outlined part of why. There could be a discrepancy here. Uh, we've done ceiling floors for Auburn. It's just something that I like. Reasonably speaking, ceilings and floors for for Arkansas this year. I'm looking at this and I'm seeing. Let me. I mean, let me count through it here. They're, they're going to win against Western Carolina, Kent State. I give them the win against BYU. That's three wins at LSU. I think they drop that one, three and one. Texas A&M. That's the first real. Yeah, that's the first. Three, yeah, not not sure about that. Let let's say they win it. That's that's our first fork in the road, right? Let's right. say they win that one. They're four and one. Okay, hot start. If they lose that, they're three and two. Oh boy, uh, at Ole Miss, uh, that's a tough game. Given that it's in Oxford, I'm going to give it to Ole Miss. At Alabama, I just don't see him beating yep. Alabama this year. No, that's what uh, four and three. Yes, four and three. Uh, Mississippi State. Uh, Mississippi State is coming off a bye week in that game, but I still think they're going to be better than Mississippi State this year. So they're five and three. At Florida, tough one. Um, I'm going to give it to them. I think they're better than Florida, six and three. Uh, hosting Auburn, I think they're ahead of Auburn for one more year, seven and three. FIU, easy win, eight, eight and three. Missouri uh, they should win that one. Sure. So nine, nine and four is very nine attainable three, for them. Yeah. Nine and three, excuse me. I think that's a very attainable record for them, and I think that would be a very good season. Uh, now, obviously, you lose those coin flip games. I mean, let's say for some weird reason you lose to BYU because, oh yeah, that would that's. I mean, there's there's still a respectable sure. program. There, there. That's not a paycheck game. You're doing a home and home with them, even though you did beat them pretty soundly last year. Uh, but let's say you lose that losing. Okay, even if you win the BYU game, you lose at LSU and you lose against Texas A&M. Now you have to go to Oxford. Right. That's a potential for three losses in a row. You lose three games in a row. We saw what happened last year. That could tank their season, right. and that's going lose four. And, and going directly into the toughest part of their season uh, at Alabama, where we expect them to lose even in a really good season. So I mean, you could lose four. You could lose four in a row there very easily, and that could just tank the entire year. And and you just don't win another game. 
Uh, it, it's a very – it just keeps going back to that Texas A&M game. That is the fork in the road, and they have to win it. And I think we could look at the Texas A&M schedule and say the exact same thing for them. Tom, what about you? What, what do you think for ceiling and floor for Arkansas this year? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the nine is, is very attainable for them. Uh, it, it's Arkansas is just one of those weird ones that I mean I think they could be like all or but all or nothing. I mean I don't I don't know about ten. Ten would be like ten's beating everyone but Bam and LSU. Right. Yep. I mean ten ten is just absolutely incredible. I I think nine is is about it. But I mean there is that chance that they could really just slip and fall on their face and have another seven and six type season. You know six win season if they really stumble um i would i would say a six win season is like bottom i mean that's just that is a catastrophe of of something has happened well hey that's pretty and, good news for arkansas considering where they were if six, well, no, and yeah. six is the, the sure. awful season sure but, but again i mean when you have a guy on the field like like kj then it's i mean you, you have to feel a little bit better i mean we'll see what else happens around them but i mean just when you have just a pure quarterback of that caliber that's worth a couple of wins right there. I mean, goodness gracious, we saw what Cam Newton did at Auburn. And, yeah, I mean, there were some decent players on that team. That defense was pretty good. Uh, but, you know, Cam Newton, Auburn would have not done what they did in 2010 without Cam Newton, like not even sniffed it. And so you can see what a really good quarterback can do for your team, even if you've got, you know, guys around you that are good, but, meh, you know, so-so, not – it. Not exceptional talent like you see at Alabama or Georgia. So that alone, I think his presence alone, and as long as he stays healthy, is worth a couple of wins. So I, I think that it would take just a, an epic, epic catastrophe for them to only win six games. Um, I think the ceiling is nine. Ten is uh, – you're really pushing your expectations right. at ten. Nine is definitely doable. But you could fall on your face and have a six-win season. I, I look at it like this. Um, if you wanted, to, if I wanted to kind of have a cop out a little bit, do a soft and hard floor, a soft and hard ceiling. Like I think that at their absolute worst, I think they could be down to five and seven because there are enough games in there. Like if they did mess up and lose Mississippi State again, right. they lost in the last year, or if they lost Missouri again. They mm-hmm. lost to him last year. Now, these are the home versions of those games, so they sh- should be fine. Uh, but at their absolute worst, I'll still give them BYU. But then, again, this is the worst version. LSU, L. A&M, L. Mississippi, L. Bama, and L. Now you're three and four, and that's right. problematic. And so I'll, I'll throw them a bone. Maybe Mississippi State, four and four. But then at Florida, uh, in the worst version, L. Auburn, in the worst version, L. So there's there's how you get to six and six. Yeah. The five would be surprising just because, again, that's losing all these games that, that feel like doable. So that's where you get your six and six. Again, five and seven is my unmitigated disaster. But six and six realistically. And then top of it for the ceiling, yeah, I look, in theory, you could say that Look, they beat Ole Miss last year, and at Ole Miss is their third toughest game of the year. Fourth toughest game is A and M. They lost on a heartbreaker. Um, to you know, turn that around, keep Ole Miss. Where's I mean, ten and two could, could come in. I just know it's college football. I just feel it's Arkansas, and so that tenth win just would be look great for them if they could get there. But I again, I'm pretty sure they're not beating LSU or Alabama because they're on the road. So there's no shocker there. And then I feel like they get. 
beat one more time. So ceiling nine and three, floor somewhere around five and seven or six and six. Look, it's not a horrible position to be in if you're Arkansas. It's clearly not the Chad Morris days. It's not the last year of Brett Bielema. But again, that is why this year is important because the narrative on nine and three is hey, top twenty team. Look at this momentum. The seven and six was if it could go wrong, it did. We're more of the nine win program. Look at us. It's two out of three years. But if it's six and six, it's like well. It was already 500, and now Oklahoma and Arkansas are going to come in the league, and or excuse me, Oklahoma and Texas are going to come in the league, and you had two straight years of losing a bunch of close games. Maybe you just lose a bunch of close games. You can't get it done in the clutch, that sort of thing. And yeah. so that would be a real consideration at that yeah. point. Uh, Arkansas's future is going to be what happens with their defense. I mean, that's they, yeah. you have to imagine. 30 points a game last year they 30, lost. 30 points, well, which is why they made a move. And yeah. now you have Travis Williams as your defensive coordinator, and you've got Marcus Woodson, who was at Auburn as co-defensive coordinator. So uh, Auburn fans ought to be kind of interest, interestingly watching Arkansas's defense because, sure. I mean, if how many people wanted Travis Williams to be on this staff here, uh, you know, if, if he has success there, then maybe that's something Auburn can look at down the road. But they, they have to improve the defense at 30 a game. Yeah. You, you, with Raheem Sanders, KJ Jefferson, you've, you know you're going to put up points on, on offense. I mean, that's an offense that is going to put up some points, and you have to expect that. But the defense, can you – can you cut it down to 21 points a game instead of 30? You know, yeah. <laughs> 30 is a that, lot. Yeah, when you're averaging giving up 30 a game, that's a lot. Of it's points. a lesser conundrum than what Ole Miss went through a couple right. years ago. Ole Miss's numbers, <laughs> these are all conference games, I get it. But in 2020, 38 points a game they allowed. Right. And we were saying, just get it respectable. You don't have to get it down to top 10 defense. Just get it from 100 to 50. And they did that. They went to 24.7 points a game in 2021. Look what happened. That was a 10-win team in the regular season. That was the difference. Uh, and they gave up 25.5 last year, had a trouble at the end of the year. But, again, they have settled in the 24-25 range. If you are a dynamic, high-flying offense, that will work for you. Uh, and that's where Arkansas needs to get back to. They were 23 points a game in 2021. Well, that was their 9-win season. So, there's a magical number in that mid-20s that these good, solid offensive teams need to get to. Get out of the 30 range, get out of 28, 29, get to 24, 25 points a game. That gives you the chance to be really good, not just an okay team, a 9-10 win team for Arkansas and for Ole Miss. So that's a that's a big goal for them, and you're right about Travis Williams. It's going to be interesting. The Dan Enos part on offense, that's also what's interesting, though, because that's why some people may be a little more hesitant about the Arkansas offense this year because they won't spread it out quite as much. Dan right. Enos was the OC when Brett Bielema was there. True. Uh, and so, I mean, look, Brett Bielema had a couple good years at Arkansas. It wasn't all terrible, but the offense, again, notably not the most fun thing in the world. And so... We'll see how Jefferson meshes in a slightly new system, but Rocket Sanders is going to be obviously very key to someone yeah, they can hand the ball off a lot to. Y'all are talking about that defense, and another thing that to talk about with that defense, they lose Bumper Pool, who has been that team's yeah. leader for three years now. I mean, just a, an incredible player, and felt like one of those guys who I don't know how good he's going to be in the NFL. But he was just really good in the SEC for what felt like twenty years, and that kid's finally gone. Sure. So you you have no idea if you're going to replace how you're going to replace your most productive player at your biggest spot of need, really. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned that. One last point to make before we take our next time out, probably last time out of the show. So they've only got 10 total returning starters, four on offense, six on defense. So we just mentioned Rocket Sanders and K.J. Jefferson are. They are not returning any of their top, I want to get this exactly right, top five, nope, top four wide receivers, 
Yeah, top five because Rocket Sanders was was fifth in receiving, and he's a running back. So top five pass catchers that were not running backs. None of them are back. And top three tacklers, Drew Sanders, who was uh, their leading sack man as well, with nine and a half sacks, then Bumper Pool, then uh, Simeon Blair. So top three tacklers, top five receivers, multiple offensive linemen. Oh, yeah. It's a lot to replace for Arkansas this year. We're going to find out about the development process too. Of, uh, well, of, that, uh, that but they, I mean, they they they've done a good job also in the transfer portal. Sure, they, they were top five. Yeah, they, they brought yep, in a lot yep. of guys from the transfer portal because they had to fill right. some immediate holes that they didn't want to try to with with freshmen. So they're going to be playing a lot right. of dudes and from that the transfer new. portal. Yeah, development process of those younger guys, and yes, evaluation process of those transfer portal guys. That's a look at Arkansas football. We'll take one final timeout. We'll make this last, this next segment the last segment. When we come back, best and worst of the weekend and a nightly TV guy. You're listening to the Monday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. You're listening to the multi-time Abbey Award-winning Sports Call. This is Andy Burcham, voice of the Auburn Tigers, and you're listening to Sports Call on Tiger to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Brent Dontry with you here on this Monday. Final seven or eight minutes of the show today. Did not have time to hit on all the conference realignment news. Have no fear. That's why we have a five-day-a-week show. We'll get to that yeah. at some point this week because we still need to have like a eulogy for the Pac-12. <laughs> uh, but also we need... Conference of Champions. <laughs> right. We also need to uh, have a thought or two on the ACC, which was pro- uh, proposed today. I'm just going to mention it. I'm not going to talk about it. Just mentioning it. The the report today, for those that are curious, is that the ACC, that stands for Atlantic Coast Conference, <laughs> uh, is exploring the possibility. Okay, that's all they're doing. I like possibilities. You like possibilities in life? Sure. Sure. Uh, exploring the possibility of adding Cal and Stanford, notably on the Pacific Coast, not the Atlantic Coast. So... All, all we're saying, uh, we'll get more of that later this week, but uh, that is a real thing. That is verified. It's not anything fake on Twitter. So, a few more minutes left in the show today, though. Now let's get to best and worst. Now time for the best. Woohoo! And worst. No! 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 Of the weekend. That's what some travel people are thinking about having to potentially have Cal and Stanford uh, fly across the country for every single conference game. Anyway... Uh, best and worst of the weekend. We'll start po- positive or negative, Tom. Put it balls I, in your court. Well, I mean, I'll go best. And I mean, okay. my, my best of the weekend was a celebration of life for for uh, Bubba Sorensen okay. over in Opelika. I mean, it's it's always bad to put a positive when you're talking about a funeral, but it it was a celebration of his life. Sure. That's what he would have wanted because uh, he was a larger than life character, full of energy, full of life, full of just gusto. 
it was a celebration. So many people turned out. Uh, fire departments from all over the area were there. Great ceremony at the church. Great ceremony graveside. Yes, there were sad moments. There were very emotional moments. But overall, it, it was a very much of a celebration of his life that so many people turned out for. And uh, it, it was awesome. And, and I was just so proud to be a part of it and be part of the, the honor guard there during the uh, – the, the visitation ceremonies of it. So it, you, you take a, a negative thing, but you definitely get the positive out of it. Like I said, being a celebration of his life and everything that he lived for. So definitely Absolutely. a positive, definitely a good thing for this weekend. Uh, my best of the weekend is going to be that I just got a weekend at home. Uh, first one that I've had in, uh, I think, a month or so. And uh, it'll be the last one I have for a while, as uh, I'm probably not going to get to go home again until Christmas. Uh, it's, you know, starting up school and uh, – We've got high school football coming up now uh, pretty soon. Auburn football will be starting uh, college football as a whole. Uh, so about to be very busy. So uh, taking one last weekend to go and uh, see my loved ones was a lot of fun. Went to my favorite restaurant, family, friends, all that good stuff. Awesome, man. I'm glad that you did get one more good weekend. And yes, your life will get decidedly busier over the <laughs> over the next <laughs> few months. Uh, you got this. I believe in you. Thank you, man. Um, my best of the weekend, so this is not nearly as uh, meaningful in the game of life or anything like that. This is just a thing I find funny. It's actually like a remotely warm take. Like it's not a hot take, but it is a warm take. My best was the Chicago White Sox and Cleveland Guardians brawl. Okay? <laughs> I was, I, awesome. I, now, look, I'm not a proponent of Tim Anderson now looking like he's <laughs> – got damaged or something he uh he would sweet up a store this weekend and it did not look good for tim he did get decked but i just like the concept of having something passionately fierce in the game of baseball we used to have these benches uh clearing often we used to have catchers getting run over managers firing things uh at, at umpires and that sort of thing and that has just been so abandoned in the game for the most part we have like if a bench clears, it's like once every two week, and it's basically just to observe the other bench exiting. And there's no <laughs> really verbal, even verbal jousting. It's just like, hey, do you want to do something? Yeah, nah. Two two guys get nah. mad at each other. All, the rest of the teams come out, and it's just to find somebody to dance with. Right. Uh, and so I was kind of uh, now again full on punching. We don't have to have that, but I'm okay if we have uh, that. I'll be. But honest. I was I was glad to see a little bit of a ruckus on a baseball <laughs> diamond. I'll just I'll just say it. I was good with that. Who was it? Was it Elvis Andrews who was also there for that one? And when Jose Batista got yes punched in the face, I think yes. he was playing shortstop in both those as, games as uh, Batista and or Ordor yeah and Ordor got into it. Uh, yeah, so again, I, I don't mind a little passion like that in baseball. I'm not opposed to a bean ball as long as we can keep it in the mid area and not get that high. Got to be careful with those. 98 fastballs to the neck and head. We're absolutely not doing that. But um, again, I'm, I'm okay with kind of the chippier things in baseball. It's been a part of the game for 100 years, and I don't necessarily think that we have to abandon them just because the year's 2023. So I enjoyed a little passion. I enjoyed a little... Again, as I use the word ruckus out there in the baseball diamond, again, I like to see tempers flare from time to time of the course of a 162-game year. All right, worst of the weekend, Tom? Uh, man, I, I guess I was trying to think of a couple of worst. Actually, because I, I was going to say a, a worst was that fight, but it was not necessarily just the fight. It was the fact that 
the dude that put his hands up in his front of his face like he's ready to do something into Tim up. Anderson. Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson, who started the fight, and by the way, is an Alabama fan for anybody who wondered. Well, oh well, then he deserved to get knocked out. <laughs> um, but I mean, he, he, he put, really did. Like he got sl- he got he got hit on the chin and fell and it, was out, knocked like, out. I mean, he he didn't get knocked down. He got like he was wobbly when he got up. That's what I'm saying. He got knocked out. Yeah. Like, I mean, put on his butt and knocked out. Yeah. Um, but he's the one that started the fight, put his dukes up, and was ready to go. I, I You know what? I am going to stick with that as my worst. I was going to say Angel Hernandez coming back in because <laughs> he, he's terrible. He's uh, he's very not good. He's, he's very not good, yeah. But, uh, I, yeah, I got to go to Tim Anderson because – Bro, if you're gonna if you're gonna put your hands up and, and get ready to square off with somebody, then you, you you damn well better be ready to fight. And you got knocked out. Yeah. So, good job, Tim Anderson. Yeah. My Great. worst of the weekend. Uh, I, I know it's been hot everywhere, and I've said this before. I think Georgia heat is worse than Alabama heat. Having lived here for two years now, I swear it's hotter over there than it is over here. And I was out. And maybe it's because I was outside a lot this weekend. I don't know, but just it—it it was routinely touching a hundred. I have a, a thermostat in my vehicle, and everyone knows, like when you when you turn on your car and the thermostat is going to be hotter than it is whenever right. you start driving. I turned on my truck though. <laughs> it says it was a hundred and fifteen degrees outside. Yeah, and yes. that's just that's just what it felt like. Uh, brutal heat in uh, Warner Robins, Georgia, this past weekend. And I, I understand here, too, but I, I swear it's different, man. I well, swear it's just – it hits a little bit different. Well, you knew we, – we predicted this back when uh, back when we were getting, you know, right before June and really all into June. It was so moderate. It was just so mild. Yeah. I, actually, we had times in the summer – early summer. Yeah. It, it, it really felt good outside. Like and low 80s for highs. Sure. I, and, I mean, for the longest time, yeah. it's like – what we we're like – Man, it's like this is this is setting us up. Mother Nature is setting us up to put yeah. us in the boiler because it is yeah. it is giving us some change ups, but that fastball's yeah. coming. It, it yeah. was like, man, it, it's not supposed to be this comfortable in June, and we were like, man, come come late July and into August and everything. It, Mother yeah, Nature's going to find pun- out. Mother well, Nature's yeah. going to punish us for taking it easy on us for the first parts of the summer. Yeah. Oh goodness, have they ever? I mean it, it. It hurts to breathe. That's one of those sticky, muggy, hot when you're out there. It, it like you can feel it going into your nose, and it hurts. It just. Ugh, it's like. Oh, it's like breathing through a blanket. Like a very hot. <laughs> Wet blanket, and you're trying to breathe through. Oh, no, thank you. So that's uh, Brand Source of the Weekend, the heat in the state of Georgia, or just heat in general, honestly. And uh, my worst of the weekend, this is the weekly segment where I get mad about something going on in NASCAR. Nice. And it's rain. Mother Nature. 17, listen to this. So we had rain again at Michigan uh, for the Cup Series. It had to finish today. NASCAR has had 25 weekends this year with some sort of activity between the Cup trucks and Xfinity. 17 of the 25 NASCAR weekends have been affected by weather. Sounds like the Thunder Chickens last year. I mean, that uh, worse. I mean, 17 <laughs> of 25. Guys, that's almost an acceptable free throw percentage. That's 68% of the race weekends have been affected by rain, either a, a postponement, a delay, a something, a movement of a date. 
That is awful. It's an outdoor sport. And even NASCAR this year tried to has tried to bring more rain tires for shorter tracks at lower speed tracks. And it's happening at all these big tracks. You can't do anything about it at Michigan. Yeah. You go 200 miles per hour at Michigan. You can't do that. Pocono is the same thing. Oh, boy. And then lightning. It don't matter if you have rain tires or not. You can't do anything. It's been very, very frustrating in NASCAR with how many uh, race weekends have been affected by Mother Nature. And again, 17 to 25 thus far. Please, for the love, let's get a few straight weekends where we just – it affects fans, viewership. It's just awful. I mean, there's so many people that pay good money for that. The stands were almost full in Brooklyn, Michigan for that on Sunday, and today it was like 20% full, and it looks awful, and I just hate it, and I'm tired of it. And it's not even about my personal enjoyment. It's just like for the people that pay the money. Good grief. Uh, we're about out of time for the show today. Real quick, nightly TV guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Little League Baseball happening as we get set for the Little League, Little League World Series here in a couple weeks. 6 o'clock ESPN. You got Little League Baseball 605, the Atlanta Braves and the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, that one is at Pittsburgh. 605, Valley Sports South. Also, three movies tonight. 6 p.m. on Nickelodeon, Dr. Seuss's The Lorax. 6.30 on FX. It is Thor. It's the original Thor. And then X-Men Days of Future Past, 6.45 on HBO. And that was the Sports Call Nightly TV Guide, presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Brant, thank you for being on the show today after driving home. I uh, hope you uh, have a good rest of your day. We'll see you again later this week. Thank you for having me. And, Tom, thank you for being here, sir. Absolutely. Uh, tomorrow we shall cluck up, and uh, I'll see you again tomorrow. I'll be ready for it. That will do it for the show today. Again, we appreciate Grant Enfinger for joining us in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series at the beginning of the show. And as always, we thank all those that tuned in and called in. For Brant Doctory and Tom Peavy, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Monday night, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.